Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 929 with Robert St. John. I think failure is just, you know, you, you gave up too soon. You, you had to keep going onward. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60-day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp i don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur the cost of goods are going up labor expenses are going up People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experience has has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green. And how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show, and his co-founder and co-creator, Zaylin Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And really what it is, is an interactive learning tool. And it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued. There's a lot of data supporting that. This is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information the very last field make sure you let them know that restaurant unstoppable sent you their way they will pay us a commission of one thousand five hundred dollars if you use that link and you you sign up with them and i just have to say thank you in advance we're trying to take restaurant unstoppable to the next level and this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools and uh, i believe in what they're doing over there so you're in good hands uh thank you in advance all right do it now with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest founder and CEO of New South Restaurant Group, which today consists of 11 unique concepts throughout Hattiesburg and Jackson, Mississippi. Robert St. John. Robert, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yeah, I am. I am 100% feeling unstoppable. Typically, a, a team of wild horses couldn't stop me, but we actually just opened <laughs> a restaurant last night, and so probably a Cocker Spaniel could... Uh, 
stop me today. But as far as this podcast goes, I am unstoppable. You, man, it. you truly are, and you've been going hard. Even before, like during the <laughs> middle of the opening, you were in New York City, like a, not in the middle, but the day before. Yeah. you're at the welcome conference right. speaking. Uh, you're traveling. I guess you have like a day or a week or two off, and then you're going to be three months on the road in Italy. And That's right. Everybody I've talked <laughs> to said you just have like this bottomless pit of energy and you can just go so yeah. i'm excited for this conversation well, I'm, I'm happy to be here I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh this show and what you do i uh, listen to it all the time and so uh it's an honor for me to yeah. to be sitting here with you yeah and for the listeners uh how robert and i connected as i got an email saying that you checked out the tools page uh, which i we need to update that things so i if you i don't know if it was if you found it helpful but oh i think i did okay good good uh but i i saw the email robert at, 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 you know what the, whatever the email address was and robert I, at robert st john yeah and yeah. whenever i get the you know john at whatever dot like yeah. john's business.com like right. i always check out who's who's you know downloading the stuff because i'm interested and i was like wow this guy's like the real deal. And like, <laughs> I, I was like, what's he doing? Listen to my podcast. And then I reached out to you to thank you. And, and that's kind of how he popped it off. And, 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 and I thought, you know, this guy's the real deal. What's he doing? Calling me. So <laughs> no, man, you, you definitely deserve to be here. I cannot wait to share your story. So let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? You know, it's, it's one word and it's onward. And I use it all the time. Uh, part of what I do is uh, I write a, a syndicated column. I always end it uh, with onward because it's just it's a good positive word. Uh, and, and it reminds me in my life to just get a little bit better every day and keep pushing forward. Even though and I've had a lot of failure. You stay in this business 40 years, you know, you're going to you're going to you're going to have some misses every once in a while. But if you if you keep moving forward and, and you keep going ever onward. Yeah. Then um, things uh, tend to work out. So yeah, that's, like, that's my word for you, man. Onward. I love it, and I like to say if you're batting 500 in the restaurant industry, <laughs> you're doing really well. Yeah, and I think people don't realize that they sometimes people open and they have a knock like a home run, and they think that they they they, they crack the code, and sometimes then they go to open the second one or in the third one, they're like, what's going on here? And that that's just the reality of the industry, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, how many? I, I think failure is just you know you you. You, you gave up too soon. Yeah. You, know, you had to keep going. Yeah. Onward. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You started pretty early, like four, four decades now in the industry. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, I can, I, I can probably pretty quickly go way back. So uh, part of, part of my story really starts what um, really kind of, kind of formed me as a human being. I think my dad died when I was six. Wow. Uh, my mother, who was a public school art teacher, raised my brother and me uh, on an art teacher's salary. So There's I had a passion work. for art. Yeah. We, we we saw the art. We I know art's a big part of you. Have palette yeah. to palette, your series. Yeah. Uh, you, you put us up last night. Thank you again yeah, for that. Sure. The art in your home is beautiful. The art yeah, in your restaurants you. is yeah. beautiful. So I was curious where that, that Well, started. yeah, so she was an artist. Her mother was an artist, and her mother was an artist. So I grew up around artists all the time, but, you know, the, the the I have a friend who says the most uh, often associated word with artist is starving. So you know you got to work, and uh, so I if I was going to have any kind of money to do anything, I had to. I started working when I was twelve, and when I was fifteen, I started working full time uh, all through high school. I was a radio station disc jockey, and loved it. Um, had a blast with that. So I went off to college. And didn't really know uh, what I wanted to do. I had, had no clue, no mission, you know, nothing really spoke to me. So I just majored in communications because I had been working in radio. 
and mainly I just partied a lot. <laughs> and, and after about two years, uh, I flunked out of college, moved back, um, uh, from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, moved back uh, to Hattiesburg, kind of with my tail tucked between my legs, a little embarrassed. And there were two ladies there who were opening a delicatessen. They had no idea about the restaurant business, which is evident because they hired me as the manager of the delicatessen. <laughs> and it's one of these things, Eric, that I swear, I feel like it's probably not this way, but it's looking back 40 years ago, I feel like it was almost from the first shift of the first day, something clicked. It was like, oh, this is, this is what I want to do. Mm. And, and then after a while, a few weeks, it became the, you know, this is what I have to do. This is, you know, this is, this is it. And so I, I was managing the deli during the day. I was about 19, I guess. And I started waiting tables at night and I was like, I'm going to open a restaurant. That's, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to open a restaurant and I got laser focused with tunnel vision. And part of the problem at 19 is I had developed a, a major alcohol addiction and a drug addiction, uh, which was getting in my way of, of any kind of goal I was ever going to accomplish. Uh, we can get into that now. We can get into it later. Doesn't I don't ever mind talking about it. But I ended up uh, in a in a rehab center in 1983. Yeah, let's pull back some layers on that. I mean, yeah. I mean happy. What, what's bad? Like, how bad did it get? Paint oh man, I was I had, I drank my first Miller Pony at 14 years old. I was sticking needles in my arms at 19. Oof. So it was a major drug addiction yeah. uh, because I couldn't get the cocaine in my system fast enough through my nasal passages. Oh man! And so I really, I, I had gotten fired from a couple of jobs. I, uh, you know, I, I basically I had gotten evicted from a trailer park and would have been homeless if not for uh, the love and care of my grandmother who took me in. I came home one day from, uh, from somewhere. I don't know. I was staying with my mom. I was, I was 18 or 19 around that period, maybe 20. And everything I owned was in garbage bags on the back porch, and the doors, the locks had been changed. She had had enough. It was the right move. This is your grandmother. Tough, no, my mother. Your mother. Okay. My mother. You know, uh, she never remarried. She just raised. Uh, it was tough love on her part. She had started uh, going to Al-Anon, and uh, it was a, it was a good move because about a year later, um, if you would have been in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty three, at two in the morning. You would have seen me driving down 4th Street about 90 miles an hour with my lights off and three cop cars with their blue lights on chasing me. Do you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I got a DUI oh, uh, and um, ended up in a rehab center the next day. Hadn't had a drink or anything stronger than an aspirin uh, since that day, uh, 39 plus years. So um, it that was a major uh, thing in my life. Uh, and so I got clean and sober. I got my head straight and uh, all through that, even, even though, you know, I was, um, you know, I was, I was pretty cloudy during that period. I still wanted to open a restaurant. I had to, I just had to, so I went back to college. I'm curious. I, yeah. I want to pull back something right, sure. because I feel like in the restaurant industry, I feel like this is a prevalent issue. This mm-hmm. is something that comes up often. We have people that work for us that, that might be struggling and what is it that happened in your life that took you off this path? Like, what was the the key elements that happened that made you not continue down that path? I think you mentioned it, but I really want to put emphasis on that yeah. because if we have somebody who's going through this and and we are there for them, like people yeah. were there for you, and maybe it didn't feel like they were there for you because yeah. they were kicking you out, but that was them being there for you mm-hmm. in in a, a kind of 
you know what I'm trying to say. I know exactly what it was. So, I can tell you exactly. Yeah. So my fr- if I go all the way back, my first memory as a little kid was I was probably five years old. My parents, my dad was still alive. My parents were having a cocktail party. I had been made to go to bed early. I was, I was, I was, I was laying in the bed, and I could hear the laughter and the gl- ice tinkling in the glasses. And I, I can remember thinking, that's fun. They're having fun. So I knew that was going to be a big part of my life, and it was. And, uh, and, and for a long time, I had fun. I mean, there, there were no consequences. Uh, you know, I, was, uh, I had the world by the tail for a, for a good bit of my teenage years. Uh, and then there's some period where I crossed some line. Um, some people believe you're born an alcoholic, a drug addict with those tendencies. Some believe you become one. I don't, I don't, I don't take a, a stand either way. It doesn't matter to me. I know I am one. I'm yeah, a recovering. Certain people have a higher disposition to yeah. it for sure. Well, some people can party their ass off and yeah. never have a problem. Mm-hmm. With it. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah. I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, once, you know, one's too many and a thousand never enough basically. Mm-hmm. But I can I can pinpoint a, a period of about two months where I crossed some kind of imaginary line and and I stopped having the world by the tail and I stopped it stopped being fun and I started paying consequences and I may have told you during that time man I'm just partying but the party had been long go over by the time I ended up getting that DUI but I, I'll tell you I ended up in a, in a rehab center and this is 1983 and I don't even think Betty Ford Center was up. People didn't really know what that was. I'd known one person that went before me a year early and we all thought he became a narc or something. We had no idea what recovery or rehab was. They sent me to a halfway house in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, it was full of a bunch of young twenty somethings because this is what I thought as I'm sitting in that rehab center for nine weeks. It was a six week program. I was in there nine weeks. I was not a good. <laughs> Student, but I thought I was playing the game, and you know. But my plan was: I mean, what do you do? How do you have fun if you're not what I call partying? And again, the party had been over a long time. You know, what do you do if you don't drink? If you don't, if you don't, you know, smoke drug, you know, smoke weed, do drugs, all that. Uh, how do you have fun? I mean, you know, and and so I, I was thinking, you know, I don't know about this sober life. I don't know, you know, there's no way. What am I going to do? And I got to this halfway house in Omaha. It's a bunch of young 20-somethings, and I got there on a Friday. And I, and I said, man, they, you know, y'all get to go out at night? Are we going to go out? And I um, said, yeah, we're going out tonight. And I was like, killer. You know, and I said, where are y'all going? <laughs> and they said, we're, we're going skating. And I just went, oh, this is, <laughs> this is what sobriety is going to be. I'm 21 <laughs> years old. And I'm a, with a bunch of hard legs, and I'm about to go skating. You know, yeah. I hadn't been skating in a roller rink since I was probably in the seventh grade or something. But this halfway house was in a former mortuary run by the Catholic Church, so I didn't want to stay in that on a Friday night by myself in some place. And so I went skating. And here's the thing: I had fun, mm. and something clicked on me in in me on a skating rink in Omaha, Nebraska, in about August of 1983. And it was that it's not necessarily what you're doing, but it's who you're with, your friends, and it's how you feel in here, inside, that makes the difference. And it was that's the first time I ever thought, well, maybe I can have fun living clean and sober. And here's the deal, man. I haven't missed a thing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't missed it. You know, I, would, if I, I don't have a lot of regrets, but... What I do regret, there's one regret I, I have, and I wish somebody in that halfway house back then would have said, Robert, get out a piece of paper and a pen and write down 
what you think your best life could be going forward. I mean, dream big, put just big things on there and then, and then just fold that piece of paper up, put it in a drawer and, and, and just don't drink and don't use for a year, for 10 years, for 40 years. And then pull, cause I'd love to have that piece of paper right now. Cause I'm going to tell you, I would have so undershot what life, and I'm not talking about monetary things or material things or anything. I'm just talking about relational things and spiritual things as, and I would have so undershot what life has given me. And I've had so much fun and such a rich life. And, you know, I was, what it was is I was into pleasure. That was it. I was into, and pleasure is very fleeting. You know, yeah. pleasure is fleeting. But what I didn't know once I took the alcohol and drugs away, and again, I'm not against, I'm not against alcohol. It's put my kids through college. I own three <laughs> bars. You know, yeah. I'm, I sell. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But once I took the alcohol away, then I could start to experience happiness. Yeah. And then when I started kind of taking care of myself in a spiritual self and all of that, then I, I started experiencing joy, which is something I never thought. You know, it's actually what I was looking for in the drugs. Yes, yes. And so to me, joy is happiness with peace and serenity thrown in. And there was no peace and serenity in my life with alcohol and drugs. It was yeah. just a constant, did, where am I going to get this? How am I going to get the money for this? All did you that. remember what you wrote down? On that paper? No, I said I wish I would have oh. done that. I didn't. But I, I would oh, love to have that piece of paper today because I would have undershot whatever I would have thought at okay. 21 years old. It probably would have been a bunch of material things. I want a nice car. I want. I mean, I was I was short of being homeless at yeah. that point. But uh, no, I wish I would have had that piece of paper. Yeah. But what was going through my mind listening to you talk is that. It, what you're looking for is this. So when we take drugs, what we're doing mm-hmm. is we're, we're, we're making that chemistry in our body. We're, we're taking shortcuts yeah. to get that dopamine, to get that, that chemical, the feeling, right? The, yeah. Those, the, those feelings yeah. that you're chasing. The, yeah. I wanted the pleasure to feel you're different. Chasing. My deal. Well, I just wanted to feel different. But, I wasn't, wasn't comfortable in my own skin. I think I wanted to always want to hang out with older kids, you know, it's all that, it's, but it's, but it's what the shortcut that you're taking is the, the path of resistance to get that is through surrounding yourself with people is through doing things with people and being loved. And that's the same stuff that you're getting. You're, you're still, you're getting that dopamine. You're getting those chemicals when you surround yourself with people, when you engage with people, when people see you and recognize you and value you that's what happens inside of you. you're getting that those shots of of endorphins and like it's and and that's probably why you love this industry so much yeah. is because you're look that we get so much pleasure from giving other people pleasure and getting sat the, the satisfaction of knowing people are, are satisfied with us and approval that approval is the good stuff man yeah. and i and and i think the, I see that as a commonality in people in this industry because we love that approval we, because it, it's, it feels so good. It, it gives us those chemicals. I like turning people on to stuff. There's yeah. something in me that likes I do these tours. I like to introduce people to whether it's dishes, new dishes or procedures or concepts or places or all of that thing. So, you know, I can, I can, I can get on the yeah. board with that. It almost sounds like um, – the fact that you hit the drug so hard, so aggressively, so quickly, it was almost a blessing in disguise. Because I feel like people who are closet users, uh, it, it, the habits kick in and it, 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 it hurts you for longer but because you kind of burned out so fast yeah. that yeah. It, you, it, you were able to correct. Yeah, you know, so it, it didn't, and you were so young that you had, it wasn't game over. Yeah, I can know? remember thinking, you know, I probably won't live to 30. Mm. And I was okay with that. 
and that's a, that's a bad place to be. The truth is, I probably wouldn't have made twenty five wow. the way I was going. It was I was pretty hardcore. I just think you do everything that you do. You, I think you just do go one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Which is, sometimes it's good, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not. Um, I'm happy you figured it out, man. Because you're here today, today to share your story, and, uh, and I know this is going to be great as we continue to go. Uh, so uh, you. You say I'm gonna open a restaurant. This you're 20 years old when you kind of make this decision. This is I was after 19. Sobriety. I was 19, and my goal uh, really it was nothing more than I want to open one restaurant, and I want to be able to wear a t-shirt and shorts to work every day. That was that was <laughs> it. It's as simple as that. I'd like to make some money. Money money was never uh, uh, probably to a fault. Never a big uh, yeah. goal in the end of that thing. I just wanted to. I loved restaurant. I mean. I, from that moment, sometime it was probably within the first week I worked in that deli, but I was like, I want to, man. And so I got sober and I went to uh, the president of university of Southern Mississippi. His name's Aubrey Lucas. And I uh, knew him and I had, I had actually attended several colleges, flunked out, didn't go take tests. You know, I was I had a terrible uh, transcript and, and I said, I want to open a restaurant. They had a major in hospitality management. I said, I want to go to school. I've straightened my life out. At the time, I was sober a year or so, and I want to open a restaurant one day. He took one look at my transcript and said, we can't, we can't let you in. You know, It was terrible. But he said, if you'll go to this junior college, Jones Junior College down the road, show me you're serious about school. We'll let you in on probation. So I went to Jones, took a full load, made a four-point got back and just blew through college. I basically came back as a second semester freshman after about three years of college. And I blew through, you know, just four point in my major. I was taking 18 hours, 21 hours, working 40 hours a week in a restaurant. And I just couldn't get enough of it. I would go to the library in between classes and read the restaurant trade magazines, you know, Nation's Restaurant News, Restaurant Hospitality, Restaurant Business. I just – and then I'd stay – I'd go to work at night at the restaurant and – and then I go home. If only there were a podcast and back do then. yeah I, yeah I could, I'd uh, design menus uh, and and future you know restaurant designs and all. I just couldn't. You're I, hooked. I, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, still am. <laughs> I, mean, I really I hadn't I hadn't lost that enthusiasm. I'm still that way. It's all yeah. I do. So. Um, w- how did you make it happen? I mean, obviously you made it happen through just doing the research, falling in love with it, learning, learning, learning. Yeah. Uh, what was your first restaurant? So. Um, it was a guy named Dean Owens. He and I were waiters together, servers, and uh, we kind of start talked about, you know, let's open a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant. He went off to Atlanta and worked for the Peasant Group uh, in management, got some great experience, and um, and we, we were going to open a, a fine dining white tablecloth restaurant in Hattiesburg, Mississippi was the plan. So we moved down to Destin, Florida, to the Panhandle on the beach, and hopefully for the last time we would – you know, it was going to be the last time we would wait tables. And then we would come back at the end of the summer and open this restaurant. But we were going to go down there. I think probably we were we were saying you know, we're going to go down and research and develop. But really, we just went and lived on the beach. And and he and his girlfriend uh, was and, that hard for you I, with your being in that environment with not people? at all. Okay. You know, that's never been a thing for me. You yeah. know, I just. Um, it doesn't bother me if other people drink again. You know, yeah. I own bars. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've never. Um, Never had a problem with it. it. Just doesn't work for me. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I can, I can play that tape forward and know where I'm. If I started drinking, you know, the world is a much better place without Robert drinking <laughs> and doing drugs. It is. So we went down to Florida. 
Um, we we hired a, a chef and brought him back to Hattiesburg. Um, we opened the restaurant. The 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 man who uh, owned the building, we went in. It's actually where Crescent City Grill and El Rio and Mahogany Bar are today. Uh, that started out a small seventy five hundred square foot building, and uh, it's fifteenth thousand. Know, we've grown a bunch, but I think it was the, was it was the purple parrot. purple parrot yeah. purple parrot cafe. We brought this What's chef. What's the year? Uh, Nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, so fall of eighty seven. Uh, we and we brought this chef back. Now the chef was a legend. Uh, he was a legend in the Panhandle for two reasons. One, his food was great. Everybody loved his food. But number two, he was like a party animal. And he was a binge drinker, and he would, you know, he'd start drinking on a Wednesday night, and they'd find him in Panama City on Saturday or something, <laughs> you know. And so I was clean and sober about four years at the time. Uh, Dean didn't have a problem at all, my my business partner. And so we brought this guy up. Dean had worked with him in in a, in a restaurant down there, and we said, "Look, whatever you do, you can't drink, man. You cannot drink, whatever." And so I sold a little piece. I mean, I had no money. I had, I had a negative net worth. I. I and I didn't have any money for a long time after. I lived in a one room above a garage until I was 30 years old. And I was about 26 here. But so I, I, the one asset I had in life was that there was a little piece of land my grandfather had left me. So I sold that piece of land for $25,000. And that was my stake. And there were three of us that opened the restaurant. The, other, uh, the third partner Wait, was... Wait, you sold a, it for how much? $25,000. The I Purple Parrot? No, no, no. I sold a piece of land. Oh, I thought I was like, wait a second. I yeah, thought no, you no. had that for I years. I sold okay. a piece of land my grandfather led me for 25000 And I think the three of us put in 25000 each. How many, how many acres was it? Uh, I think it was like 40 acres oh, of land or something. It was, it was way out in the country. I never went there. But yeah. I, I didn't have any other. That's the way I could get 25000 yeah. Um Our third partner was a guy named Nick Apostle, who's a mentor of mine. Uh, restaurateur chef here in Jackson. He's retired now, but big influence on me. And he had he he had been in the restaurant business all his life, and his father had. Uh, they owned the building, so there were three of us. Uh, we brought the chef in. You know, whatever you do, you can't drink. Do not drink. You know, we're risking everything. And so he developed all the recipes. Uh, and Dean and I were really front of the house guys. And we we hired our buddies who were waiters at other restaurants, and we we opened uh, December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven, and went for a soft opening, and hoping you know business would just trickle in. Yeah, and we were slammed. I mean, we it was so. It was so I want to roll back a little because yeah. I'm I'm curious. So you you get sober around the age of twenty, right? Twenty one. Twenty one. I was just old enough to drink. So stop drinking. And then you went to school. You study. You hit it hard. You're, you're reading yeah. in classes. You got a four point You're in the. Was it Southern Miss? Yeah. Southern, yeah. Across the street. From yeah. Where all right. this stuff yeah, is going yeah. on. So I got um, a degree. You got a degree in hospitality management. Yeah. And w- were you working in restaurants during this? Oh, time? absolutely. In Forty the- hours a week, I was working. You know, taking big loads, eighteen hours, twenty-one hours. So, uh, what I'm curious about, um, what was? I mean, five years in the industry, you're able to recruit the best chef in the Panhandle of Florida. Yeah. yeah. How the frig did you do that, man? Like, what was it about you? Well, what Dean, did you say? Dean worked with him. And, okay. And and he he was a very smart guy. He had an infectious personality. I want to mention his name because I'm about to tell a bad story on him. But uh, we're calling him the chef. Yeah, yeah. He's the <laughs> chef, and he was an awesome guy. He was around our age. And uh, he was very, very talented, and, and we brought him in, and uh, he moved up. I think he was living with Dean, maybe, and uh, Dean and Mary. And, and so opening night, we had a soft opening. You know, he had, he had been doing great, and I, 
we learned our first business lesson on the very first night open, and that is lock the beer cooler. <laughs> and this guy drank a case of beer out of the walk-in. and a the bottle first of, night? First night, opening night. A 30, bo- a 30 a bo- pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While running. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. it's 24. Okay. So it's still, yeah. Oh, just 24. No, and no. then a bottle of Dr. Tishner's from across the street at the show. So we fire our chef opening night. Man. And so night number two, I mean, it's us. Well, at least you, it's Dean and me. And we, <laughs> there's a lesson here if you are yeah. the opening chef. Yeah. Intellectual property. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I think that's one thing where today, where if you're a chef, like, Obviously, he deserves to be fired. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying that, but also, like, you, at least you got the recipes. Yeah, right. At least you got the talent. The the is, is that yeah, a positive we, about it? We had recipes uh, for the most part written down. Yeah. Uh, he and I had zero experience in a kit. The extent of my cooking ability at that time that I I had asked for and received an easy bake oven when I was six years old. Yeah, that's it. That's I mean my. So he and I got back in the kitchen, and at the time, uh, my girlfriend, she's my wife now, Jill. Uh, she and I, we were closed on Sundays. She and I would drive to New Orleans, which I'd been doing all my life, but, but I, I would start eating around in restaurants, but at this time with restaurant eyes, with different, and I would come back and uh, try to, uh, you know, replicate those dishes I, w- I was eating in New Orleans, and eventually, and Dean was working hard in the kitchen, and, you know, we are just trying to figure it out. I, as, for, as for me, I think we paid ourselves $12,000 a year, which is about a 50% pay cut from what I was making just waiting tables in yeah. 1987. But the dirty secret is, had I had any money, I would have paid somebody because I own my own restaurant. That was like the thing. And I was wearing shorts and T-shirts, which is what I wanted to do, <laughs> even though it was a fine dining restaurant. It was a very good fine dining restaurant for a, for a long time. We uh, that, that first restaurant, the Purple Pair, was open. It's a COVID casualty. We we closed uh, during COVID. And, uh, yeah, but that was kind of the – run, man. That's that, a yeah. success. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. – uh, it was great, and um, and so eventually, after a couple of years, um, I bought Dean out, and then a couple of years later, I bought Nick out, and um, and then you know all this other stuff started happening. But uh, interesting point before we go further is, and I, I think it's important, and I, and I talked to my children about this is, you know, you sometimes when things look the absolute worst. And you can't really see the forest for the trees, but but things turn out to be blessings. And that's certainly the case in my life. If I look back, I flunked out of college, which at the time, other than my dad dying, it was like the worst thing that had happened. I was embarrassed about it. I came in, but I started working in restaurants, and I found my passion. I found what I wanted to do. So So that bad thing turned into this good thing. I ended up getting a DUI, which is like the third worst thing that happened to me in life. You know, was that, I, that was 83 after you dropped it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So the next thing like that, I, so it's terrible, to, but I ended up getting sober, clean mm. and sober. And on, it turned out to be a huge blessing firing our chef opening night. You know, my mother had begged me not to open a restaurant. Oh no, it's going to be terrible. You know, blah, blah, blah. And here it was opening night and we have to fire the chef. And, uh, and with no clue as what to do, but what it did, it forced uh, us to get back. And, and I got back in the kitchen and started teaching myself, you know, how to, how to be a, you know, a chef and a, and a commercial. I don't really consider myself a chef now, but I spent 
those first four years, I was 90 hours a week uh, on the I line. I mean, you, the, the, the state of Mississippi considered you a chef because you won best chef in the state three yeah. years in a row. I yeah, think yeah, but, I, you know, I just <laughs> don't, I have, I don't work back there anymore. And so yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's almost uh, an insult to the people in my kitchens who were working their tail off. I'm, you know, and that happens still. You know, yeah. I'll get put up I for best chef or whatever, and it's like I would, I want to, and I, I remove myself from the thing because I say, guys, I'm not even the best chef in my own restaurant, much less in Mississippi. These guys can work circles. Or my, I'm a, I'm a cookbook yeah. chef, and I develop cookbooks and have written however many. And and I develop recipes and do that, but you know, as far as there's more than cooking to, to be called a chef. Yeah, that, yeah. The, just, sh- the cooking is the first I'm a, step. I'm a restaurateur. Yeah. I mean, I really am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, were there any key mentors? Because we kind of flew over the the five years from when you chose this path to when you opened your restaurant. Mm-hmm. You, you were on a five year plan to open your restaurant. Yeah. Who were your biggest influencers? The biggest support? Like, who was in your corner to help you do this? Um, I had a lot of support, uh, in the recovery community. Um, and I learned a lot and there's a lot of wisdom there, Mm -hmm. a lot of wisdom there and life wisdom, which translates to business wisdom. Um, my grandmother was probably as far as food goes. And I know that's kind of the typical answer, but it's so accurate in my case, man, my grandmother could cook and she was a great hostess. Um, you know, all the manners and, you know, everything I learned, uh, I learned from, from that lady. Her name was Eunice St. John. My daughter's named after her name was Eunice Holloman St. John. And we didn't want to name my daughter Eunice. So we named her Holloman. (laughs) But, um, yeah, early on. And then after that, I would say Nick Apostle, um, because your uh, business partner. Yeah. He was the original, uh, there were three of us. He was the third guy. He was a chef. He, he'd been in the restaurant business. Dad was a Greek immigrant, uh, in, in Jackson, Mississippi here. Um, this area was founded on the restaurant industry, at least here was, was all run by Greek immigrants who just had that work ethic. And Nick had an amazing work ethic and I learned my work ethic from him and I learned, um, detail and and uh quality uh as far as you know in in offerings um he had a very uh sincere and deep commitment to quality which i probably wouldn't have had before working with him dean uh, my my other partner originally had a lot of management well he had a year or two's worth of management experience in atlanta i had none and and that's good and bad it's good that he brought a lot to our concept that we wouldn't have known otherwise if we had just been servers. And, and so it's probably more positive than negative. A little bit of the negative is that, you know, I had all these great ideas of, of what to do and how to do and kind of, but I had no management experience. So I wasn't coming. So it always trumps. If you're in a partnership, the guy who's had management experience is always going to trump the idea of that. Well, you know, you've never done this before kind of thing. And that was, uh, that was hard because I was just so so just brimming yeah. with energy and ideas and creativity. So once I bought him out and I think it probably worked out better for both of us, still a friend of mine. We still stay in touch. He's yeah. out in the Bay area. Um, great guy. Um, so um, there's a lot of things that are going through my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, to, maybe today it's, I think today you need partners to really 
if you're starting because mm-hmm. there's so the bar has been raised so high. There's so much more competition out there today. I feel like correct me if I'm wrong, but the expectations I think are absolutely higher too. Uh, I don't know if you can do it alone. I don't know if you can do it alone and, and open a restaurant. I don't want to do it alone. Yeah, I, my my the, I, I do. I collab, I love collaboration with mm-hmm. people, whether it's. I've done four books with a, there's a watercolor artist named Wyatt Waters from up here. He and I uh, did TV shows together. We did books together. And, and I love working with other people. My current business partner, he's walking around in there trying to get this restaurant open, uh, Jared Patterson. You know, uh, when you find that perfect partnership to where you have complementary gifts and talents and skill sets, uh, it's perfect yes and and he's got that our relationship now he we're 50 50 in this restaurant uh, enzo you're you're sitting in right now and um he is uh systems he's management he does all the beverage stuff which you know i'm not gonna be any help there um and uh training um i am more the concept development uh, food development, uh, imaging, branding, marketing. Got it. And Got it. Uh, and then that's that's where my talents lie. Yeah, and, and so, that's the other thing. Like, it, it, could you open a restaurant by yourself? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you be the best in open a restaurant? That's going to be hard. And because you need to surround yourself with all these these special talents. Unless you're one of those freaks of nature that's good at everything, and then you run into a bandwidth issue. Yeah. You know, so bandwidth, yeah. know your lane, stay in it, and find people that compliment you. You also so have somebody to kind of celebrate the wins with. Yeah. And and when when you're in the trying times, you've got somebody else who's in the trenches with yeah. you that you can problem solve with and if for whatever reason you need somebody to cover your back if there's a death in the family or maybe you just need a break to get clarity of thought yeah. uh, you need somebody to lean on you know because you can't so uh, you got into what i was looking for the detail about how to get into partnerships or mm-hmm. what to consider in partnerships you want to find somebody that compliments you mm-hmm. want to stay you want to have lanes and you want to stay in your lanes 100%. Um, i think now's a great time to take our first break to thank You're our right. sponsor we'll be right back to kind of start to dive into what you learned in these first couple of years and how you evolved during the first couple of years <laughs> okay recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, 
There is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we are back, and I, I want to zoom up to 30,000 feet. I'm going to get in the airplane now. This is the analogy. I used to be right. a commercial pilot, right. so this, this is how my brain works. Uh, 30,000 feet, big picture, chronological. You open your first restaurant in 1987. Uh, you, on my list of restaurants, have um, the Purple Parrot, which was your first restaurant, Crescent right. City Grill, uh, Mahogany Bar, right. Branch uh, wait, no, was that branch was a cocktail bar next to purple parrot that we closed during COVID as Got well. It. I had about three COVID casualties. And if there's anything in between these, Oh, there's a bunch in between, okay. man. And that's what I'm this. assuming. So, uh, yeah. so we have Tabella. I'm saying that correctly. Tabella's Italian yep. restaurant, right? Uh, Ed's burger joint, right. uh, the Midtowner in Breakfast L and lunch. Royo Tex-Mex. El Royo, yeah. right, thank you very much. And that's all in Hattiesburg. And then Jackson, you have high ball lanes, uh, the Pearl and Car- uh, Capri. Yeah, uh, and then the, your newest is Enzo. Where we're sitting yeah, today. we're sitting in Enzo right now. So what? We opened last night. By so the way. oh yeah, I <laughs> yeah. know, man, it's crazy, and and you're making time for us, which is oh, so man, incredible because I course. know what an opening is Dude, like. You got all the time. But this you isn't need. your first rodeo, so yeah. I'm sure you got it locked we're, down. We're, we're okay. Yeah. Um. So purple cow. Um. Purple what, parrot. Sorry. Where the hell did I get cow from? <laughs> purple parrot. Um. <laughs> We've been called worse. Yeah, Purple Parrot. Uh, what opens between anything open between Purple Parrot and Crescent City? Um, well, actually, so that's an interesting story. I'll try to make that one quick. Don't tell the, the story. Just tell me yes or no. We'll get um, into the story. No, uh, Purple Parrot and a place called Purple Parrot Cafe and Purple Parrot Grill opened simultaneously. Because okay. I wasn't sure Hattiesburg uh, was going to support fine dining, and so there was a little space next to it, and I did a place that did po' boys and pasta and soups and salads. And we did it out of the same kitchen, which was kind of a novel thing at the time. We did two restaurant concepts out of one kitchen. One was fine dining. One was very casual. That was Dean, and and I, and I came up with that. Um, the problem was I, I learned uh, kind of an imaging branding thing is we, we discovered that nobody knew the difference between what was Purple Pear Cafe, what was Purple Pear Grill. Yeah. The identity was too many. Yeah, we get close. calls like, hey, which one's the nice one? Well, they're both kind of nice. <laughs> and there was a dress shop <laughs> over in part of this building. When the dress shop closed, um, I had bought Dean out by that time, so I reconcepted into Crescent City Grill because I was a huge fan of New Orleans food and Creole cuisine, and my cooking skill set lent itself to that, and then we put the mahogany bar in the middle. So all of that kind of morphed into that in about two or three-year period. Okay, got it. Um, so any what, any other restaurants chronologically that open that aren't around, like in between? I just There's a bunch of them, man. I, I've opened. This. How many restaurants would you? If, I, if it's this is too much my 25th through. opening. 25th opening. Of, of something that I've had something to do with. Okay, so today. And we only have eight open now. Minus so. 11. Yeah. We're looking I, at 15 restaurants that yeah. didn't work out. Some I sold out. Some I closed. Uh, you know, it's it's all very. We reconcepted several. You know, so that you know that becomes a whole open. Yeah, I know. This, this is gonna, there's I, a bunch I, of them. I had a feeling this is going to be a very. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot to the co- the cover. So, I mean, let's just go chronologically like, through okay. your story. Um, where where were the evolutions for you? Let's use that analogy. Uh-huh. So, uh, you you open um, Purple Parrot. How long before you open the next restaurant? Um, the next restaurant would have been really. I mean, it may have been. Um, 
I opened a country and western nightclub, 20,000 square foot country and western nightclub and steakhouse up here in Jackson in 1993. So five years after the first opening. Okay. And it was pretty amazing. And these are 1993 numbers. This place, we were only open uh, four nights a week and we were doing $110,000 a week. What was the name of this? It was called Rodeos. Rodeos. And it was capturing that whole second wave of uh, the country uh, music thing. And uh, we had a steakhouse out in front of it, and it, it was a phenomenon when it opened. I mean, it was packed. We get two thousand people in this place on a Wednesday night, and uh, so that was kind of that was in the mix. Next, um, I did a Crescent City Grill in Meridian, Mississippi, along the way. Um, I opened a place called Five Eighty Nine Family Fish House. You know, Mississippi. If there was a Maine has lobster shacks, and uh, you know, uh, Carolina has barbecue shacks, and um, California has surf shacks with Mississippi that, uh, kind of indigenous restaurant concept would be catfish houses. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're all over there. You can't, you can't drive a mile in Mississippi, especially in the countryside with that cab. I love, we yeah, saw you know, a couple on the way here. Yeah. 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 I mean, you did. You <laughs> yeah. passed all you. Yeah, the one was the shape of a dome. Yeah. Right? That was the one, you passed. That's, the one that that's a out. different Duomo in, Florence, <laughs> yeah. in a different Florence, but, um, yeah. So what's typical of a catfish house is, you know, it's fried catfish, y'all, coleslaw, hush puppies, french fries, other stuff. I opened a place that was really novel. It was really fun. We did family style. We were passing vegetables, and it, it was a blast. Yeah. People loved it, and it was going to be a growth vehicle for me, and 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, the people in this rural area where we were, man, they, they battened down the hatches. They stayed home, ate beanie weenies. It was, we're not going out anywhere. And I just had a bad uh, business deal where I had uh, done a catering for a convention center that, I, you know, I just lost my shirt on. And I was like, man, I don't want to go through this again. So I put everything in storage with plans to reopen that. And I hadn't done that yet, but it's been 21 years, but maybe, I, maybe I'll do it again. We'll so, see. I mean, you got, we, we have so much to cover, and I, yeah. I know there's no way we're going to cover all, all of right. it in our time. So I'm, I'm handing you the keys to the podcast right okay. now. Like, you're steering the ship. Yeah. Uh, on this journey, just take us through chronologically going through your, your story. At, it just as you're going through, yeah. there's things I'm curious about. I'm just going to pull back. Later. Okay. So just do your thing. Okay. So there's a lot, there are a lot of tentacles yeah. with me, which is a little, little weird. Um, uh, the, the local newspaper, I love, here's the, I love restaurants. Yeah. I'm a student of, I don't, I'm a living Mississippi. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't play golf. I mean, this is it. This is what I love. I'm, my wife would tell you my spare time. I'm sitting on a computer doing, figuring out concepts and do so. Um, there are a couple of other passions though. Um, in the late 1990s, I got a call from the local newspaper that asked me to start writing a, a column yeah. in newspapers. And I said no, and they kept calling. I said no, and finally I relented and started writing. And then after – it was pretty bad early on, but after a while I developed a passion for it. Other newspapers started calling, and uh, within a year or so I was in like 32 newspapers every week. I've, I've never – I've written that column. I write a 1,000 words a week. For the last twenty some odd years, over a million words in print, never missed a week, and that devo- I developed a passion for that. Out of that came these cookbooks. Um, what are you writing about in these columns? Like, what's um, your focus? Food, the South, growing up in the South, and now there's a lot of travel. Uh, when uh, I'll jump ahead a little bit, and we can go back. But in um, <clears throat> 2011, I took my wife, and at the time, my 10 year old son and my 14 year old daughter. 
we flew to Sweden, bought a Volvo, and spent the next six months driving uh, through 17 countries in 72 cities on two continents. Um, wow. And so I wrote from that. It, it became, that's really about the time I found my voice yeah. with writing. And uh, one you of the, this 1990? Uh, I, I've written since 98. Okay. But that trip was 2011. Oh, okay. And, um, and so just the four of us, except uh, the time we were in Italy, and uh, my, the watercolors friend of mine, Wyatt Waters, he flew over, and we did a book together called An Italian Palette. And out of that, uh, people started asking me to take them to Italy, which I thought I'd just do once. And now I'm, I spend three months a year yeah. taking groups of uh, 25 people, and then out of that came a TV show. There's a lot of stuff that's you know, uh, happened uh, with me. I'm, I'm just... I found that if you're just kind of open to opportunity and then it comes. And so I've, uh, I'm blessed that everything I'm involved in, whether it's the books, uh, we just, we just produced a documentary on the life of Walter Anderson, an artist on the coast. We won a regional Emmy for that, those kind of things, the books, the restaurants, you know, I'm blessed to have a hundred percent creative control. Yeah. So I think, which the, is really what, nice. What's going through my mind hearing this stuff yeah. is what you're doing is you're promote through sharing your perspective, sharing your story, sharing your thoughts about travel and food and the mm-hmm. self. You're creating a brand for yourself and you're, you're marketing yourself through these channels. And that's, yeah. that must've supported the business. People keep telling me that I don't like, to, I don't, I never really thought of myself as a, as a brand or something like that. But lately did you that notice, keeps coming up. Was there, was there a change in, in, um, no, in business, I just, when this you know, I just everything really goes back to the restaurant. So, yeah. I, you know, we're, we're we've we've just opened this restaurant. We've got a couple on the drawing board that one in in the works that'll follow this, and a several after that. So, I'll, I'll never stop doing that. My son came to me uh, several years ago, said he wanted to get into the business. He's at CIA now. How and, old is he? Uh, he's twenty one. I'm happy and, that he waited a little a little bit to get into the CIA. Yeah. And all the stories I've heard, it's always people that wait to like 22, 23, 21, yeah. that age that really get the most out of it. When he came to me, uh, he was probably 14, said, I want to go in the restaurant business. I was I like, said, are you yeah, sure? Yeah. I never pushed it. You <laughs> yeah. know, I never pushed yeah. it. I heard somebody on one of your podcasts several weeks ago said, said when somebody came to them, I uh, wanted to know about the rest. He said, well, do you want me to talk you into it or do you want me to talk you out of it? Yeah. So I, I didn't do that obli- with my son. I think we have an obligation to, to try to talk yeah. people out of it. Yeah. Um, that, that's really what I try to do with this show, honestly, that my goal is to get to the, the truth of how hard it is. And yeah. do you, we don't need more restaurants, yeah. you know, like, do you really want to do this? <laughs> Um, yeah, but he was, uh, you know, and so I waited and he kept coming back and he kept coming back. So, okay. I said, this is what you're going to do. If you, if, at least if you want to come work for me with us one day. And I said, and, and it's really what I should have done. What I wish I would, I did it all backwards. Mm. You know, I flunked out of college, went to college, didn't know the kitchen, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, you're going to go to college. You get a degree in uh, business with a minor in accounting. Then you're going to go to culinary school, the CIA, which is Harvard of cooking schools, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, then you're going to get out and work for other people for two years. And then, and only then, can you come back in one of our restaurants, but you're going to start at the bottom. Mm. You're going back in the kitchen or in the front of the house as an assistant, and you're going to work your way up because that's the only um, – and he's 100% bought in. We, um, you know, one of the, we, we took a little deviation in that plan um, because – 
so much of his college was COVID and Zoom. Yeah. And he moved over to Florence, Italy, where I spent a lot of time and worked for a friend of mine in their kitchen uh, this past spring. And it was, it was an, it was one of the better parental things his mom and I will ever do. She was a little worried about it. He was 20 years old yeah. living in Florence all by himself. Oh, what an but experience. He matured about five years in five months wow. and he, he learned a lot of Italian recipes, which about, there are about four or five that are on the menu here cool. that we're going to be doing. So he's got my daughter as an interior designer. She helped me uh do this building and everything so it's you know you're fortunate man it's not every day that your kids want to be a part of the family business and and take an interest you know sometimes a lot of people wish for that they want that they they want to bring their family in and for you to to have kids that are making it their choice to be a part of it you're you're very fortunate i'm not sure how much she wants to do she's she's okay with uh, (laughs) with coming in every once in a while yeah yeah Yeah. that's it but that's a big part of it and i think people don't realize how important the decor is the the feeling the atmosphere it's it's all the emotions not just taste and smell but it, the, the the surrounding the feel uh, exactly yeah. uh so w- i think we kind of skipped over a little the evolution because your first restaurant was in eight, 1987 yeah your second restaurant was 19 uh was it 98 or no no maybe 93 93 so what was like i think we grow the most in that first restaurant that and, and getting to the point where you can open a second restaurant where you where you have that first restaurant to the point and maybe you didn't have it to the point where you could leave it and it would be on its own. So what was that? What were those lessons? What was that evolution? What were your challenges in that first couple of years? In that period, because I did a couple of things that, that didn't work out, but I was typically listening to other people mm. who, who, man, you ought to do this. You ought to do that. And, um, uh, I, a couple of things we did some, somebody else's concept, um, who, you know, we ought to do, and I'll put money behind it. And I don't think any of those have ever worked. And there've been several of those, along the way but what's the difference between other people's concepts and what you're doing is it the what what do you think if you could distill it down to what what well i think you're always going to be more passionate and more bought into something that you've created Mm. and developed and and if if you're not sitting around thinking about that thing it's somebody else has been thinking about it or thinks it's going to be a quick hit yeah or something like that but so, like uh, the Midtowner you talked about, my breakfast and lunch place, I, I dreamed of that for ten years. It's man. a beautiful location. And so, isn't it great, man? Yeah. I, I wanted something detail. that felt like it had been there since 1948. We loved that it. was for the entire community. Not just simple, good. I'm, I love that restaurant. But but I thought about that restaurant for ten years. Six years I've been thinking about doing an Italian restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, the Italian restaurant we did in Hattiesburg was about a five-year – a lot of it in my head. Just you know, I spent a lot of time just researching, looking, doing things like listening to your podcast mm-hmm. these days. And so, um, you know, I, I would – early on in my career, I would get calls from developers – Man, I got I got this property would be perfect for one of your concepts. And early on that played to my ego. And I would go, look, oh, they want me here. You know, this is this would be a great opportunity. Sometimes I would do it. Um, hardly ever, if ever, did any of those work. What I learned after several years is they didn't want me. They were just looking to get out of a bad real estate decision they had made. I was probably way down on the list. Yeah. Um so they were and, looking for an exit strategy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I was going to be it, and I was going to be the one end up paying for it. So, you know, I'm real skeptical these days when I get those calls. And, and I think that I've been in the business long enough, and I guess we have gained some, you know, notoriety or whatever you would call it. And so the deals we get today 
are different than the deals I was getting 20 or 30 years ago. So how you stay in the business long enough, I think, uh, you know, like the deal we made for this restaurant was, I told Jared, my, my business partner, I said, you know, I've been in this 40 years. You can be in this another four. You're never going to get a, a, a deal as sweet as this one is. So what, was, what have you good. learned about taking the deal? How, how, how do you look at these offers differently? What are you looking for in these offers? What I look for differently is, is people, people giving up a lot more uh, than I would have expected early on. A lot of TI money, um, you know, uh, no. Back in the I, – I came in the restaurant business in 87. It was the tail end of really when banks did business differently. I, I'll hear stories at the time from old-timers in the restaurant. 70s and 80s, banks were just loan money. Mm. You know, it was a whole different – not a good thing probably. But, um, you know, it's um, – it's hard, and and to get people to give up, um, you know, a lot of uh, the deal, you got to keep pressing for that. To get and people to give up a lot of the deal, so 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 you win more in the deal. You got to play. What? You got to be willing to walk away and not do it. You can't fall in love with the concept yeah. so much that you. Oh, I just got to do this. I, what are your and deal? I've been there in the past. What are your deal breakers? What will make you? When do? What's your bottom line in different verticals? Um, How do you know when it's time to walk away? These days, personal guarantees, personal guarantees, and uh, you know, the way we've structured deals lately, we hadn't had to do that. There, there would be uh, you know certain situations on a bank note, you know, where, where you're going to have to, we're going to have to do that these days. They don't really do a lot of non-recourse loans, at least for people at my, at my level. What are the personal guarantees you ask for? Um, no, no, no. I'm talking about the bank wanting a personal guarantee. So if the bank wants a personal guarantee, you walk. So I, lately, I don't know much lately. about this. We, this, yeah. is, this is clearly I lately. don't know much about this. Yeah, lately. Yeah, um, but there are ways to open restaurants. This this restaurant was opened. What's a personal guarantee was, that they'll ask for? Um, oh, I mean, every, everything you you sign over, you get. They want your wife to sign. You know, they want you to sign. You're going to have to these days. You know, banks want. You know, if you if you want to borrow. Four hundred thousand dollars. They want assets worth eight hundred thousand. Okay. You know, it's a, uh, bankers don't really like restaurants. Yeah, it's the, a, the risk, but yeah. you know, that's, there's a reason for that, and and there are not a lot of businesses or industries where this is what happens in the restaurant business. Harry cooks a good steak in his backyard, and all his buddies say, "Harry, man, you ought to open up a restaurant. That's the best steak I've ever eaten." And Harry thinks, you know, I, I do, I do. Need, everybody likes my steaks. And so Harry goes out, spends, you know, his retirement on opening, you know, Harry's Steakhouse. And he learns in the first day that running a restaurant is about, you know, being able to cook a good steak is about 3% of what you need to know. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, and, and that's exactly why we don't talk about food well, on the podcast. And he's, you know, he's, he's sitting, you know, bringing out dirty mats at the end of the night because the dishwasher didn't show up on a Friday night when he thought he was going to be sitting out at table five basking in the glory of his, you know, customers. It's not <laughs> like the food network and it's not what he dreamed. And, like and so there are not media. a lot of businesses yeah. like that where, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm good with maybe if I were good with numbers and I think, well, I'm going to open an accounting agency. Well, that doesn't work, mm. you know, but everybody eats. It's the thing we do three times a day. Unless you're a newlywed, you don't do anything more every day <laughs> than than eat. We do yeah. that every day. And so everybody has an opinion. It's very subjective. And everybody thinks, you know, well, the restaurant business is just easy. 
You can, and it's hard. It's the hardest business. There is there's so many things that can go wrong, uh, and and that's why bankers hate restaurants because it's it's a relative uh, easy entry business, and and the failure rate is just phenomenal. It's, you you got to let. And even with somebody forty years, you know, it's it's hard. For for us, and we 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 think we got a lot figured out. We don't have it all figured yeah, out, but constantly for somebody who's never done it and just wants to do, you see people get it. That's why so, whoever it was on your podcast that said you want me to talk you into it, or you want me to talk me out of so it. So all the things that you have to learn as a restaurateur, as you're evolving, like you said, you, this is what happens. People they know how to cook. I want to open a restaurant. What were the things? Because you were at that point one day mm. where you're like, I love food. I love yeah. the industry. I want to open a restaurant. This yeah. is what I want to do. What were the biggest things that had blindsided you up to this point of really like, oh, I did not expect that. I would have to figure this out. What are those challenges? Give us, go through the, um, the biggest challenges that you were not expecting. And how did you overcome them? You know, it's a little weird in that there's, it's going to sound weird, but I've just never, these challenges just I, I I think maybe I've always assumed well that's just the nature of, of this business and so it never nothing ever certainly was seemed insurmountable but I I just looked at it man we got to put out that fire we got to put out that fire I've never really had a you know you I guess the easy answer is to say well you know government intervention on this and they keep putting regulations on this and it's just I mean that's if you're going to be in this business, that's what you deal with. So yeah. I'm not sure there's a lot of, I would, I would tell you today, the, the biggest obstacle is labor. Yeah. It's just brutal right now. I don't know, you know, there, there was a sea change with COVID and I don't know, I don't know what people are doing for, for, for money nowadays, but we, you know, we always in Hattiesburg, we were, we, we had set up early on in the early days, we want to be the place to where if you want to work in a restaurant, then we want to be the place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You're going to work. So what do we, we started with that concept and then we backed up. What, what do we need to do to be the place? What did you do? It wasn't always money. What did you do? It was work environment. Mm. So we fired the skunks. That was one of the first things we did. There were people, and that's an early lesson I learned. You know, there are people who I can remember we had a cook who was so coordinated and such a good line cook that he could work a two, maybe three positions at one. I mean, just, just awesome line cook, but he was, uh, abusive to the staff. Um, it was not a good scenario, but in my, uh, young restaurateur, uh, naive head, it's like, Oh man, we can't do it without that guy. Yeah. We gotta have, we gotta put up, we gotta manage around him. You know, we couldn't, and I was up here, uh, at the, at the big nightclub I was talking about earlier one day and he got in a fight and the manager down there fired both of them. And I was, I remember thinking, oh man, we're losing, you know, so-and-so and everything went up. Yeah. Right. Everything. This guy I thought was indispensable. You call him a skunk. I call him skunk because they spread funk throughout the whole restaurant. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to fire the skunks, man. Yeah. You you can't live with a skunk. And they're on the front of the house too. And they're the one, they're the person that brings everybody down. Yeah. It's just that, but maybe they're a good server. Maybe they're even okay at the table with customers, but nobody wants to work with them. They're not a team player. You know, they, they don't do, you know, it's, it's that person that brings everybody, you, you get rid of them. I'm I'm always amazed. And a lot of times this is the person you don't think you can do. And everything comes up attitudes, 
happiness level, everything. Yeah. So you got to think of the energy in a room as kind of like we learn about absolute value in math in high school, right? There's negative and positive, mm. but there's an absolute value. You could be on the negative side of zero. You can be on the positive side of zero. You might have five people on a scale from one to five. Five is the most positive and negative five is the most negative. You might have three or four people in there that are fours and fives. But if you have or, or twos or whatever, but if you have somebody who's a negative five, then those two, those two those positive twos and threes don't matter because the net value yeah. in that space yeah. is going to be on the negative side. Yeah. You got to remove that negative five to bring that average you up. You got to measure a it as a team. Point. I mean, it's it's yeah. really you got you got to look at the whole. Yeah. And 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 they're going to be good and bad and talent and that, but the talent are going to bring the less talent if you have the right attitude. Exactly. And that's we just hire for attitude. Mm-hmm. We could care less about experience. Seriously, front of the house and back of the house. Yeah. With, I mean, we're not fine dining anymore. I don't have a fine dining concept anymore. And so we are, you know, the develop the, the recipes are developed and proven. And so we just need to, to train people to be consistent. And, it, you know, we just hire for positive mental attitude. If we, when we, every sign we put out these days when we open a place, now hiring happy people. If we can get happy people, then then we're, we're good to go because we can teach them how to – how to serve and how to cook. So we got on this path of <laughs> uh, basically you started getting into like we decided that we if you wanted to work in the restaurant industry in Hattiesburg, you're going to come work for us. Yeah. And the first thing yeah. to, to, to attract onto yourself yeah. the the right people is you start getting rid of the negative yeah. people. It doesn't matter how good That's you right. are, how talented you are. That's right. You've got to get rid of those negative people. Yeah. What else did you start doing um, to attract on people? <clears throat> A good work environment. You know, I came into the industry – when managers were still working 70 hours a week, you know, and it was just understood in the restaurant business. That's the way it works. There weren't a lot of benefits back then. It was, it was just a different environment. I've, you've, I've seen three incarnations of that. You just get better and better and better. And I think we were the head of the curve on that really, really taking care of our team members. Um, and then again, and it's not with everybody, but, but, you know, people need to make a good living, and they need to make money. And I, I, we we paid well, and our so we we've always been blessed to be very busy. And so, you know, the servers make uh, good tips. Give me an example and, of <clears throat> of taking care of your people. And I know we, sometimes it gets personal talking mm-hmm. about how people were down out without mentioning names. Or I mean, if you can give me an example of mm-hmm. somebody who just needed help, how were you there for them? Well, um. In the early, I'll answer that too. Is in the early days, I would get calls from you know, can you bail me out of jail? When when we were this tight little knit restaurant, you know, kind of thing, and somebody was in jail, and I did a lot of that. Uh, it's not that because I don't do that anymore, and 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 I loaned a lot of my money early on. That uh, you know, you still on occasion, you know, somebody somebody needs help, they need help. But the thing is, is you've got to be there for people. In in every form there is, you would you would have. I probably just in in that restaurant in Haysburg had probably ten thousand people over the last thirty five years wow. come through there. Maybe three hundred of those. Now maybe two hundred of those. I've had deep conversations with on life, like serious life things, and that's one of the most. You know, people come from different backgrounds. Uh, and and don't, maybe didn't have a lot of, um, you know, maybe their parent, parental situation, uh, their parents weren't uh, present or weren't there to talk, you know. So, 
you know, I, you, you just have to be there mm-hmm. in, in all forms and be supportive, but, but you don't, you can I, I thought early on that was bailing them out of jail and loaning them money. That's not what it is. You know, it's, what is it? it's, well, it's support. It's support in whatever way you can give, um, through, you know, advice is, is too uh, broad of a term, but, but when someone comes to you, you got to be there. You got to be present and, and you got to listen. And I'm not a good, I have to work hard to listen. I am not a good listener. And, um, you just got to be that. And, and you've got to create the team. The te- when I was in school studying hospitality management, the textbook I remember said location, location, location. And that that was the success to the restaurant business. And that's a load of crap because the, the key to success in the restaurant business is management, management, management. Mm. 100%. Everything good that happens in our restaurants today is a direct result of management following through on the systems we've set up and, and being present and doing the thing. And, and every time we drop the ball, you can always trace it back to somewhere, whether it's back of the house, front of the house, somebody along the way you know, wasn't taken care. And, and, and it just goes back to management. what is management to you? What do you mean? Um, by management? I'm talking about the management team. Okay. I'm talking about that, that team. And it's so important. Uh, the chemistry that you put together, uh, on a management team. And we've been blessed. Here's the deal. We hired four managers in 1987 and we, we, other than this restaurant, we just opened, we haven't hired a manager since. And we've opened a ton of kind. We just move people up. What do you look for in a manager? Um, well, we we don't have to look outside. So what I was saying in that statement was everybody's come from within. Mm. So uh, Steve and Stacy Andrews, uh, who are at Tabella in Hattiesburg, he started as a prep cook with me in 87. She started as a hostess. They met, got into management, uh, married, uh, and and. You know, I gave them a third of that business there, and then they they run mom and pop. So, so I look for people uh, who uh, are really uh, set themselves apart and are in it for the long term. Uh, Jennifer Heritage, who's the manager at Midtowner, we've worked together fifteen years. She started as a server. Her assistant manager Sonia, we we worked together for twenty years. She was our carryout person. So everybody moves up. Uh, Jared, who's who owns fifty percent of this and half of my deal down at uh, the Capri, the movie theater, and the bowling alley, and all that, he started as a server while he was in college. So, yeah. I'm drilling down here, and you're giving us gold. So, the the gold to surface level again. We asked you, uh, what is taking care of your people? You say providing man- management, and what you meant by management, management team opportunities. Op- yes, I, I was getting there. Is what it's, it is. That's what we're. That's why it's growth and it's opportunity. And and that's why a part of the reason, because somebody asked me the other day, you know, why do you keep opening these revenue? Well, part of it, I love doing that. I love creating concepts. It's, it's what I love to do. But I'm also creating opportunities for other. There's no. We went for a long time. We were kind of stagnant for about really about a 15 year period. That was rough. And and we we had a lot of good people coming up that we could have created opportunities for, 
but we didn't have any outlets to grow and we lost them. Now it's, it's reverse. And we, we've got all these opportunities. We're opening up concept and we got two or three on the drawing board that we're about to open and we need to generate and, and get, get managers in. It's, yes. it's the opposite problem. This now. right here has probably been one of the biggest lessons I've learned. And it's what the most successful restaurant tours do when they're growing, when they're opening left restaurants, left mm-hmm. and right, left and right. And they're how are they finding people to fill they they're finding the people from within and you're not in the business of making food as much as you're in the business of growing people and creating yep. opportunity. Yep. And the reason why they're opening restaurants is because you hit the, head, the nail on the head. It's about the teams. It's about the people. And if you want to work in a restaurant, you want to work for us. You want those people. Yep. You want people who are going places in this industry, and we're going to give you the fucking highway to yep. get there. We're going to give you a direct path. We're going to give you everything you need to know to be successful. And we're going to give you the fucking money to do it because we, we're investing in you because we know you're going to do it. You Either the bank's going to give you the money yeah. or we're going to give the money. And we're going to be successful together. Yeah, that's and what that's, we've done. Yeah. yeah. And I love that, man. Yeah, it's the beautiful. Thing about the restaurant, I mean, this is truly the American dream business. I mean, you can really, I mean, I was living in, uh, like I said, a one room apartment above a garage. So I was 30 years old mm. and, and, you know, now we've been able to create all these opportunities for other people. So if, if you, if you want it and you're passionate about it, you get in and work hard then we're going to give you an opportunity to, to grow. Yeah. Um, you said the way to not support people is to bail them out of jail. Why is that not the way? Well, because uh, you're, you're not doing any, I mean, you're, you're helping in the short term, but you're not helping in the long term. Um, they need to the, fall hard. They need, they, that, that's what jail is there exactly. for. To learn. To, to, yeah, that, well, I, learned, I learned that the hard way. And even after I'd learned that the hard way, I was, I was doing the other thing. And, and um, you know, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of kids who grew up whose parents kept bailing them out of bad situations, and they they became forty year old adults who were still being irresponsible. So, yeah. Um, would you say you give people opportunity who wouldn't be able to find opportunity elsewhere? I think that's probably happened. Yeah, I've heard stories just from being in town of people who fell hard. And they needed an opportunity, and they probably wouldn't have gotten it from other places. As I'm sharing this, is there anybody coming to mind? Is there stories that you have? There are a lot. Yeah. We, you know, I, I like hiring people in recovery. Mm. And in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, there's a really good treatment center called Pine Grove, and especially in the early days when when insurance companies treated uh, recovery uh, and, and treatment differently, we got a lot of people. I hire, I hire them right and left. I'm, I'm a firm believer in second chances. I'm, I believe in third chances. I was given so many chances uh, coming up. Uh, a Do you think that's I, what makes you give? Is, is it because you knew if, if you didn't get a second chance, where would you be right now? Well, I mean, the, the, the next guy like me may be out there, somebody who just loves doing that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who loves this as much as me. I got fired from a restaurant. I went through rehab. I got sober, and they hired me back, and I got a second chance. Yeah. I know what it did for me, and surely you, you get burned sometimes. I was gonna, That was I, my next question. I bet like, you get burned 25% of the time, but that, that 75% of the time you don't get burned and you, you, somebody develops into a good team member and maybe potentially another partner. I mean, I was a, you wouldn't have put money on me at 19, 20 years old 
man, I was I was like the least likely person to ever succeed in anything. Yeah. Man, I was a mess. But but I knew I knew my uh, my intentions were good. My heart was good. I just had this bad behavior that I was I was I was in heavy addiction. Yeah, you know. So you what know, you're going to get burned every once in a while. But but you're going to get burned every once in a while from normal people that you're yeah. not giving second. You probably yeah. get burned more. Yeah, from people that you know people are just you know you hire and they come in and and you, know, Same. you get bad results. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you what is the filter you put people through if you if if somebody is trying to get a second chance do you protect yourself are you cautious are you are you, are you i think you're just aware that, you're okay. just aware and i i'm i'm pretty far removed from daily hires of yeah. of people in the business uh, in our in our restaurants but but there are a lot of times you know somebody will say you know my son went through this and he's going through this and he really loves the business he wants to I'll, sometimes it's just they want to come talk to me or, or and sometimes so I'll call one of the managers and I say, look, you know, I'm not I'm not saying hire this guy, but but interview him and and, give him and a chance. let's give him a chance. Yeah. I, I think we should. I would I would never say you're going to hire this person. Yeah, doesn't matter. I wouldn't do that to them. Yeah, they have, they have to manage. But so you we kind of got down this path because I was asking what are the biggest lessons you learned? What do what do you know to be true about your success? And one of the things that you said is we started saying to ourselves, if you want to, you know, we're going to hire people who want to work in this. If yeah. you're going to work in the restaurant industry, if you want to work in the, the restaurant industry, you're working for us. And then you, you talked about, uh, you're hiring, you're making people happy. You're taking care of them. You're giving them support. You're giving them the opportunity for growth. And it's all about the management team. Uh, you pay them really well. Uh, you take really good notes while I'm speaking. Just, it's the only way I can keep good. up, man. My memory is not there. So let's kind of like sum up this thought. And then what, if that's one key thing that you just know is one of the things that you've learned is absolutely what makes you successful. Successful. What are the other elements that you know? Like, what were the 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 other evolutions for you? If like, wow, this is where we really got to the next level. Um, I, you know, it's 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 kind of uh, the typical answer, but I know in the, it's it's the thing in my case is passion, and I believe success follows passion. Success follows passion. What do you mean? One hundred percent. I mean, if you're passionate about something, and and like I'll, I'll give you my example, I eat, sleep, and breathe restaurants. Yeah. I'm, I get up in the morning, you know, I may read a little bit of news, I'll check email or whatever, but I'm I'm looking into all these restaurants. I'm looking if when I get home at night, um. I'm, I'm researching these recipes. I'm working on this concept or, or this. I mean, it's all about the TV may be on Netflix for a minute, but my laptop's open and I'm doing it's it's I eat, sleep and breathe it. And the thing is, is, I mean, I, I was with my son uh, before he figured out he wanted to go in the restaurant business. He was probably 12 and we're driving down the road. And he said, what do you think I ought to do one day? Dad? I said, you know, just, you, you'll figure it out, you know, follow what I said, whatever it is, don't make it about money. I said, and here's the, and I, I was telling him this. And as I was saying, as the words were coming out of my mouth, it's the first time I had ever thought about it. And it would have been about nine years ago, I guess. And I said, here's the deal, son, find out what you're passionate about. And I said, every day I've, every day I wake up, I've never once, not once since I opened that first restaurant, gotten up and gone, Oh, don't want to go to work. And I said that, and then I thought it. I thought, damn, that's true. I yeah. have never won. And not that everything's been easy. 
because, man, it's been hard. And a lot of times, it's been probably been hard more times than it hadn't been, but I've never, never, ever gotten up. And I'm not looking for pats on the back saying it's just the way it is. I've never gotten up and gone, oh, I don't want to go to work. It's like, man, I want to get in there. And you got to – I don't expect that from him. I don't, I don't expect that he's probably, you know, going to read – do nothing all his spare time he's reading trade magazines he's designing restaurants in his in his you know late night hours and stuff but but that's just the way it is um with me i just love what i do and so what is unique about you where where you've never had because here's what's going through my mind listening Mm -hmm. to you talk there's Say you, you love the restaurant industry for one of the many different verticals, whether it's because you love cooking, whether it's because you love taking care of customers, yeah. whether it's because you love designing uh, concepts. There's so many different things that can draw people into this industry, and you can be successful no matter what your strength is. How? What is it about you that never – like one of these – say say your thing is concept design and vision and culture and marketing, right? And, mm-hmm. and I don't. I'm, I'm tagging you as not the systems and operations person. Uh, Bob, I'm, and, and, I am so far away from that, and I re, I resonate with that because I'm also not that yeah. person. I thrive in chaos. I yeah. like I like not having a fucking plan. Saying let's just go and see what happens. That is every interview I've ever done. I'm like yeah. I need to know a little bit about you, and then then I'm just gonna listen right. and see where we end up. I love it. There's things about this podcast I don't love doing. If I'm being honest, I hate. Yeah editing i hate it i don't like copywriting i don't like promoting my podcast i don't really like the marketing side of it if i'm being honest but i still have to do it um i still wake up every i'm I'm so grateful like every day i freaking pinch myself i was sitting on a yacht yesterday drinking beers with this awesome guy you know paul tournament and like i'm like how the why do i i'm sitting here across the table from you you know what i mean like i got higher than that you know man but you and i got this like i I got this thing you welcome me into your home beautiful home i'm like who the hell am i like why is this happening to me and i love what i do but sometimes i still am like i have to do this thing i really don't want to do this thing how do you find the energy like um, how do you how do you overcome that stuff that you don't want to do that you have to do here's the here's the easy answer to that is i am i've gotten to a point about 10 years or more ago to where i am blessed to have the people surrounding me that do like my business partner here jared patterson we're so complimentary like i said earlier he's the systems guy he's the management guy he's I'm I'm good at negotiations and 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 he's we can good cop bad cop you know on negotiations. I have a lady named Maria Keys who is my right hand uh, financially and she is uh, she is so loyal. She's been with me 25 plus years. She's the CFO. She handles all the financial stuff. Man, my you you start making an insurance pitch to me, and we got to start looking at number. Man, my eyes glaze over. There's some people who. And and they're and they're better for it. Who who get into that and do the deep dive on that? I get macro with finances, but I so that means I have to have somebody around me who does the deep dive in that and keeps an eye on that. And uh, and so I'm blessed to to be at a point finally in my career. wasn't always that way. To to we've got a, an infrastructure. Simeon Williford. Who, who you met, who's my assistant, but she also, she's way more than an assistant. You know, she handles uh, all the booking, all the trips, which is a big job because yeah. we end up taking, 
let's see, this year we'll take 250 people in groups of 25 to Europe, which is a lot of logistics involved in that, you know, traveling people around a foreign country. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, we have uh, marketing, Laurel, uh, Raul, who, who does marketing for us. We're adding more marketing people. And then Extra Table, which we hadn't even talked about. Yeah. The, the nonprofit. Um, so I, I, my key to success, if you were to ask me that, What's your key to success? Right, I would say I have surrounded myself with people that are smarter and more competent than I am, and I, I paint the big picture, steer the ship, and then get out of the way. How do you attract onto yourself these people? I mean, one of the things I think is unique about your story is from your very first concept, you had th- two other partners, or mm-hmm. I mean, arguably three partners. I know it wasn't an equity partner, but you also had the chef, even though yeah. it didn't last more than a day. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. Um, what is it just a mindset of abundance? Cause I, my thought, even like reflecting at my own career, like I wish I, my, the thing that's not, that's stopping me from doing exactly what you're saying of surrounding myself with people who are stronger and better than I am, which I'm in the process of doing, but it's cash flow. How do you, yeah. how do you, like, where do you get the cash to be able to make sure that you're not overextending? Yeah. That so we have not always had the cash. Cash flow uh, was a, maybe I've, I've been in over 35 years. I would say cash flow was, Two decades of my career, cash flow was tight and negative in a lot of ways, but I just kept pushing forward. That's the onward thing. I just kept pushing forward. I mean, I've, I closed a couple of restaurants. I've never bankrupted anything. I've stayed like, like we closed this restaurant Meridian. I owed a lot of money to suppliers, owed money to the bank, and I paid it all off. I just, you know, and, and so I took a hit on that, uh, that, um, when we did the catering contract on that thing, I probably took a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar hit in um, the early, mid late nineties, and but I didn't, you know, I didn't file bankruptcy or anything. I went ahead. I'm probably not the shrewdest business person, to, but so as far as attracting people, um, I don't think I've got like some infectious personality or something like that. I just I, I learned early on from a man in Hattiesburg who told me. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> and and so I've never minded. I always had people advise me, don't give, don't give away. I gave like Tabella, I gave a third of that business to them. I didn't have to. I could have just brought some managers in. They didn't pay for it. They didn't put any money up. And now, now they run it. They run it like a mama. They, they're a married couple. They run a great business. And Jared, Jared, uh, I don't want to get too deep into our financial situation, but, but you know, I, I gave him 50% of this. Yeah. He didn't pay a thing, yeah. but, but, but I think I get the better benefit than he does. So I got, I got, we got to create this restaurant and, uh, you know, I love Italian food and all this kind of thing. And, and again, we're so complimentary. Um, I couldn't do it without him. I couldn't even come close to do it without him. Yeah. He could likely do it without me. Is it but, just a mindset of abundance that like there's going to be enough for all of us? And I'll be honest, if I'm being vulnerable and transparent about myself, and this is my, my perspective this is the only perspective mm-hmm. I have growing a business wise. Yeah. Um, the thing that like I've been cash insecure my entire life. Uh, I, I, I mean, my parents didn't have, my parents owned a restaurant. Yeah. I have memories. Of my mom sitting at the dinner table crying, figuring out how she's going to pay the mortgage and they busted their ass and they had lines out the door every weekend and they were being written about. And the, they they were successful by all means outside looking in, but money was always an issue. And I went to school, became a commercial pilot, two hundred thousand dollars in debt. I'm still 100, over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And you know, it's just like 
how am I supposed to grow if I can I can barely take care of my own liabilities? Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to give half of something to somebody if I can if I'm worried about paying the bills this month? Like, yeah. how do you get over that? Because I think that fear that 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 mindset of of scarcity and fear and and like, how do you overcome that? <laughs> I'm you know, it's 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 a bad business thing to say but it's never been about the money for me. And so when it's not about the money, then, then the loss of the money doesn't scare you. The, the, I wouldn't, if, if we took some kind of big major hit and everything closed tomorrow, you know, my wife who is so supportive um, and always has been, you know, if we had to move in an apartment tomorrow, she'd be fine. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the money that the money is the ego part of it, or at least the image of if, if, the potential of losing money is the is the ego part of mm-hmm. it. And so, you know, you gotta if you if you love this business, you gotta do it. I mean, but people, I've, you know, we I'm, I'm serious. We probably went through twenty years of serious cash flow problems. And, uh, but we had people along, I would say most of the time, uh, you know, I was probably largely responsible to that because I didn't have the team, um, infrastructure, right. What changed, Uh, what changed about your team? um, I I found complimentary, uh, people to partner with instead of people who were just like me. We don't need a bunch of Roberts. Yeah. You know, then we're going to, there's going to be financial problems in somebody's got to take care of that stuff. And again, like I said, I glaze over all that. It makes me a bad business person. I know. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think I'm a good restaurateur. I am probably not a very good business person, or I'm not as good as I need to be. I, I could be a better business person. Yeah. Um. What were the key? And you said twenty years. That's almost half of your career. Right? Yeah. It is half of yeah. your career. Yeah. You started surrounding yourself with different people. You said the compliment mm-hmm. that aren't you that that the, do the things that you don't do great. Mm-hmm. What were those people? Were they fi- were they accountants? It's Peter? Jared. Jared. It's Jared. It's Maria. I mean, it's people that uh, people in the management team that are you know looking more towards the bottom line all the time, and and not, we were we were very sales focused. That's how we judged ourselves for many years. Money in the volume. Yeah, volume. Man, they're packed. They're doing good. And so what that is is that that's all just about appearances. You know, if you're not putting money on the bottom line, it's it's not a good restaurant. So we could be like Purple Parrot in its heyday, and and I can I can look at my concepts um, very honestly and 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 without a lot of bias or whatever. In its heyday, if you go back to 2012 Purple Parrot Cafe, you could have dropped that exact restaurant in New Orleans, and I promise you would have been a top ten restaurant. We had a. a a best of wine t- spectator list. There were a thousand labels, four thousand bottles of wine. We had killer service. The food was awesome. Um, we got a lot of press, a lot of notoriety. The place looked. It was a great restaurant, and it really hard. It for the last eight years, it didn't make money. Mm. So, so what do you? I, I got to a point when COVID hit. I was like, you know, and the thing is, I, I told Jill, I told my wife, I said, you know, I can't be the guy. That that is, you know, carries the torch so Hattiesburg, Mississippi can have a fine dining restaurant they can bring their relatives to once a year. Because that's kind of what we had become. Yeah. And 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 the town had kind of moved out of our neighborhood and moved west. There were a lot of factors. 
And and I'm not blaming it on the town because I mean West at, at like all. Western never, Mississippi never, never, never. or West West, out west. Hattiesburg. Okay, got. It. You know, we opened on the edge of town, and now we're left of center in the town. Yeah. It just it grew, but you know, it wasn't a profitable deal um, for a lot of different reasons. You know, and I'll t- I'll take a hundred percent of the of the blame for that. But I, COVID happened, and was like, okay, this is. We need to, you know, we can't keep carrying it. You don't know what the world's going to be like going forward. We can't just have this restaurant that's not making money anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I was working on a Tex-Mex concept that was going to be at a different location. And uh, I said, you know what, own this building. I'm just going to bring it in here, do this. And I'm real happy. It was a good business decision to make. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. And, And But so my ego was involved in that. It was like. I'm, you know, I've, I got the fine dining room. I'm, you know, this is this is my identity. It was the first restaurant I had opened. We're talking about the purple parrot, the purple, purple parrot, parrot, which yeah. just closed in yeah. the tw- yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, I, I closed three during the pandemic. One was our little boutique donut shop. One was purple parrot, and the other was branch, which was a cocktail bar, it was a very yeah. upscale thing mm-hmm. that just didn't connect with the market. It was it was great. It was a great concept uh, with small plates and killer cocktails and. I don't know how many bourbons and I mean, just tons. It was great, but we, we just kind of overshot the market with it. And, and it, it, it was good if you, if you needed to feed your ego, but it wasn't great to feed the uh, bottom line yeah. at all. Uh, man. Um, we're, so when do you know, how do you, when do you know it's time to swallow the pride? When, and like, when do you know it's time to sacrifice the, the limb to save the body? Um, well, I'm 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 fairly new at that because I just did it in two years ago. Yeah, is is really maybe the, I don't know. You know, I've closed. Uh, we did a Crest City Grill in Meridian, Mississippi, and um, <clears throat> couldn't really get management uh, to go and work there. And um, you know, it just it didn't stop fighting that battle. There's sometimes you just got to give it up. And I'm probably go longer than I should with a lot of things. You know, it's like man, we can make this work. I'm, I'm uh, I'm overly positive <laughs> a lot of times, probably to a fault. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but um, we can't be everything, man. I, I don't think know if I answered it, your question. But. No, you you did. <clears throat> um, I, I mean, more. I mean, I think sometimes it's, it's the, I think the answer is kind of obvious. So it's just like, is it bleeding money? If I if I don't solder this, or you know, what's yeah. the word? Uh, when you put like hot something to like a wound that's bleeding, there's a, right. if I don't sew the wound, if I don't cat, stop the bleeding, uh, cauterize, cauterize. Yeah. If I don't, if I don't stop the bleeding, yeah. you know, I gotta, I gotta cut the limb off. I gotta solderize the wound. I gotta stop the bleeding. If I don't, I can't, I can't lose my body to save the arm. Yeah. You know, and I think it's just, if, if no matter what you do isn't working and then it's time to say we tried. And I think that's what gets people in trouble is ego. They say, if I close this restaurant, what are people going to think of me? Yeah. They're going to think I'm a loser. They're going to think I'm a failure. You're going to be a bigger loser if you sacrifice everything yeah. for your ego. And for your family and all that. The, your employees. I'm more these days, um, you know, I've, I've just, um, you know, I've done a lot of stupid business decisions. I've, I've, I robbed Peter to pay Paul a lot of times. You know, this restaurant was making money, and it. We'd, let's just keep funding this yeah. so we can keep this open. We need a nice restaurant in town, blah, blah, those kind of reasons. And and then I've I've done that uh, to the detriment of my family sometimes. You know, I took out a second mortgage one time. I sold some land one time because i got to make payroll. Yeah. You know, there's – man, there have been times, you know, I've been – 
even I will tell you a couple of years after we opened the first restaurant, I mean, I was counting change in the sofa cushions broke, you know, and you just got to be, but you know, to me, I was, I was rich because that sounds cheesy, but you know, I owned the restaurant. That's what I wanted. I wanted to own a restaurant. So, it, you know, the, everything else didn't matter, but there gets to be a point in time where it's, you've got to be responsible for your family. Yeah. And you've got to be responsible for the team that's around you because yeah. there are a lot of people. I guess we have around, I don't know, 500 employees close to system wide. And, and so you start thinking, well, the decisions I'm making affect all of them and how they're going to, you know, take care of their families. Yeah. So. Yeah. Robert, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. We've learned a lot. Uh, you've reinforced some great lessons, echoed some amazing lessons. And um, I want to start talking about where, uh, so the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, by the way, thank you for the work you've done. I, I want to acknowledge you before we before it escapes my mind for the work you've done with the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the current state of the industry in your opinion? Uh, where are we and how can we transform the industry? What direction what needs to change, if anything, in your opinion? The beauty of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, let me back up a little bit, <clears throat> is that it gave a voice. And, of course, and I'm a member of the National Restaurant Association. I was president of the Mississippi chapter. You know, <clears throat> I'm not saying anything negative about the NRA. But what I also will say is it's just natural if you've got major chains and and big corporations that that, that – you know, they're going to, in any organization, in any association, they're going to draw more of the attention because you got to take care of who's taking care of you kind of thing. I was going to say, like, and, and I, I worked in the in the restaurant yeah. association and I saw that, that side of the yeah. association They're, I think they're like anybody they're they're worried about, you know, like, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Who do we have? You like, can't lose we, the McDonald's of the exactly. world if you're the NRA. And again, I'm not saying anything negative against them, but, but the beauty of the IRC and it was such an organic thing. 18 people got together on March 18th of 2020 and, and said, what, what are we going to do to live and to survive whatever's coming? And you had no idea. I joined the call the 19th. So I was like the 19th member. I wasn't an original founder, but I'm the next day founder, yeah. uh, part of that group. And then I, I was on the initial board of directors, which I'm about to roll off of. But, um, the there's something there's a there's a bunker mentality that's developed when people gather together around a crisis like that and and you had you know Robert St. John from Hashburg Mississippi on there with all of these folks who are, who are my good friends now but it didn't matter it didn't matter what you had done where you were where was how are we going to how are we going to survive that we were just in survival mode and there's a there's a lady named Erica Palmer who's the uh, executive director of that. If she hadn't been on your podcast, she needs to be on this podcast. She is an amazing lady, and uh, she um, is the executive director of the IRC now, and 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 has worked tirelessly. And really, I don't think came from the restaurant. And she she kind of did uh, like uh, farm to table events or something like that. But she uh, she took the reins of that thing about three months in, and and is still just knocking it out of the park today. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the pandemic and what happened mm-hmm. and all that because we've heard it. So yeah, but 
what is where are we now in your opinion uh the the world the state of the industry uh what what direction is the industry heading in is it a good direction is there here's my here's what i'm really trying to avoid i think the restaurant industry is guilty of being very reactional we we're fear-based reaction we react to the consumer we're afraid the consumer like we want the consumer to like us we want to give this consumer what it wants but i don't think what the consumer wants is what's best for the industry sometimes uh do you think that's a fair statement or do you disagree with that statement? I could, I could maybe wrap my, my my head around that i would i would think about it a little more i state of the industry now at least for us and everybody i talk to except for one guy i know uh, is is the the labor situation? We've got to figure something out. We've got to work on some kind of immigration policy with with new visas or something that that can bring people in to work because um, the business is there. In, in all of our concepts, I mean, people want to come out to eat. The business is there, <clears throat> but the the cost of of food right now is crazy, and so really we're not making making hardly any money on anything because you can only raise menu prices, at least where we are why, what, to a certain degree. In your opinion, why can't we find people at home in, um, in the States to work in the restaurant? I, I, I need to know that answer. I need to know that answer because it's baffling. It's baffling to me. I have, you know, I, well for a while, obviously there was a lot of government assistance and it was needed. Um, and, and so I think, uh, people, um, we're, we're getting that and, and, and not working. And, and the, somehow a reset happened. It, it, I can't figure it out. The most people I talk to, nobody, what somebody, are, somebody's are making money saying? from somewhere or somebody just doesn't want to, I mean, you've got to live. I don't, you know, we've got, this is a, you know, a, this is a capitalistic society it runs on business and, 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 and you know, I, I don't know. We need to know. We're trying to figure it out. That's that's our biggest hurdle today. Has anybody so, said we, it? we just opened this restaurant last night, and we, we've got – we need 14 on the floor, and I think they had scheduled four. And so I'm going to have two managers waiting tables today. we got enough kitchen crew. Uh, we opened Highball Lanes, which is a bowling alley, restaurant bar, tiki bar, and all that. We're still trying to hire <clears throat> El Rio – we need several, uh, several of our places are fully staffed and we, we changed, but <clears throat> there's some kind of sea change happened and we are in the, I don't have the answer. I w- I'd love to be able to say, all right, guys, everybody listen to this podcast. This is what you need to do. To start I guess what I'm trying labor. to do is I don't expect you to have the answers, but I think that there needs to be like this state of like the m- minds coming together to, to just the brainstorm to a collective of minds to say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What are you doing? What are you doing? Are we, are we creating a situation where, um, this, 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 I think a lot of people are in survival mode right now. Right. And what, what happens when people are in survival mode is they get desperate. And I think if we, I'm afraid we're going to get to a place of a new standard out of a place of desperate uh, disparity that do we want to go down that path or do we need to start communicating to the consumer, um, or just to the public. I don't, I don't know. I, and I must sound like a broken record right now, but I think that I think we forgot our role. The, the restaurants used to have a much bigger role in society than just a place to go eat mm-hmm. than just a transaction. Like mm-hmm. we were leaders at one point, we were the mayors of towns. And I keep, this is something I keep on saying in a lot of episodes, but I'm, I believe in it and I, and I want to echo it. So we remember what, 
type of influence we once had. And can we be those influencers again? Can we influence the consumer to make better decisions with their money? Can we influence people to take pride in the work that's associated with the restaurant industry? Or is it a shameful place to work? I think there's so many variables playing into it. Um, I don't know. I, I've never thought of it as a shameful place to work. I think I mean, some, but I think that there think are people, people do. I, th- yeah. I, you know, I think Maybe that there so. is an, um, there's like a sense of like, well, you've probably heard the expression. Oh, like, is this your full, is this your job? Is this your real job? Or what? I can't, what do the people say? Like, is this your, is, your, is this your part-time job or yeah. what are you doing? What, what is your job? What's yeah. your part? This What's is your my future. Job. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. people, there's a, le- there's a level of like, Oh, you work in restaurants. Oh, you must not mm. be able to do anything else. Right. Um, and I think that there's a there's a stigma about working in the restaurant industry yeah. that you're not as good of, and it's the last it's a it's a last a last ditch effort that's, for you. That's to for survive. people that don't know anything about the restaurant exactly. business, exactly. And I don't think I'm out of line be, by saying that. Yeah, you got to be pretty uh, resilient. To, oh, I know, to do this. but that's the point. Is I don't yeah. think that people recognize the a level of pride that should be associated. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Well, I don't know. I feel like I'm just ranting right now. Do you do you want to reflect, or are you afraid to say something? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm, no, no, no. I'm 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 not going to hold back. Yeah. Well, do you have thoughts on on that yeah. situation on the state of the industry? And uh, you know, I think it's too. Uh, I said in those early days, everybody kept talking about a new normal, new normal. I said we're not going to have a new normal. We're going to get back. To where it was, and then we're going to keep moving forward. And you know that hadn't happened. I was wrong about yeah. that. It's a, it's a, it's a different world. And to me, it's not. Other than we've got to find people to to you know that want to work in the restaurant business. And we are not very uh, we're ill equipped to do that because we've been so blessed in our company forever. Always hired A plus candidates. Always had a big stack. You know, just, you know, picking and choosing. And so we're having to figure out, okay, what are these things we need to do? We hadn't figured it out yet. We're in the process of it. So yeah. um, that's why I listen to your podcast a lot. I'm gonna, somebody's going to give me that. I don't think anybody on, has the answer. Labor. Like, we're constantly learning. We're constantly yeah. growing. The only way we grow is by sharing information and by lifting each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, you did just come back from the Welcome Conference. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? What was the What was the message? What was the What were people saying? What was What was being echoed there? Well, the theme uh, was Welcome Back. Yeah. And uh, it was just first rate in in every way. Will Gadara, who uh, started that, uh, is a friend of mine, and got to know him through the IRC. <clears throat> I saw a lot of my IRC buddies up there. Kevin Bame, who's been on your I love podcast a couple of times. He's, you know, I told those guys the other day, you stay in this business long enough, you you end up being ten and twenty years older than your mentors, <laughs> and and that's the situation. I'm a sixty years old. I would say Will and Kevin are what early mid early to mid forties. Yeah, you know, and those are to me. Kevin Bame is the best restaurateur in the entire country. Wow. I, 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 what is I, it about him that I put him admire? above? You know, Thomas Keller is probably the best chef. Yeah. So you got, but as far as just restaurateur, I think he's very dynamic. I think he has figured out a great system. His concepts. Uh, he's very smart to have chef forward concepts because chefs are used to details and, and, and chefs are going to, uh, typically have a good ego and they're going to want to have a place if their name's on it, they're going to take care of it. And they've just, you know, he and his, and Rob Katz with Boca have figured out 
Oh, I am so impressed. Every time I'm with Kevin, he's going to get sick of it. Because every time we're together, man, I'm just peppering him with, all right, now, now tell me how you structure this, how you structure that. Because we're at a stage in our company where we're moving from kind of this mom and pop thing we've been for a number of years to where we're about to open a whole lot more concepts. And we, we typically, you would want the infrastructure in place, the back office stuff in place, and the corporate stuff in place. I hate the word corporate. Uh, and then you start growing. Well, the way it's working for us, we're having all these really opportunities we can't pass up, and we're uh, we're going to have to catch up with the infrastructure. And so I've, I've been relying on Kevin a lot lately and talking to him about those things. But just the guys I've met, Andrew Zimmerman and I knew each other before. I was on an early episode of Bizarre Foods uh, when they came around this area. And, and so just, you know, guys like that. Uh, was, but the welcome conference was filled with – um, a very diverse, I mean, you had Gary V and then you had Floyd Cardoza's wife. And I mean, there was all these points in between and then you had this, you know, old burger flipper from Mississippi, <laughs> you know, you're more than that. My yeah. Friend. Well, what, what, was there an overarching message? What was, what were people saying? Uh, was there th- like the, the theme was welcome back, but yeah. that's pretty broad. Um, what, what did you leave with? Um, it was really, and, and I'm going to be 100% honest with you, I was so focused on, Your on what my speech. Well, let's get into yeah, that. Yeah, my speech was, uh, again, not to take, but all of theirs are going to be on YouTube. Yeah. And and I, I look forward to listening to them. <laughs> but I was like, all right, I'm in Lincoln Center. Yeah. You know, that's pretty heady stuff from a boy from South Mississippi, and I want to nail it. And and I, according to you know people, I think it went well. But, yeah, my deal was um, – I told a story again, riding in the car with my son. Um, he was talking about a, a guy one day and uh, a guy from my hometown who's been very successful developer, made a lot of money. And he was talking about how much he admired this guy. And, and I said, well, you know, what's, what's he done? What's he done for the community? And we couldn't name anything because the guy hadn't. It's just take, 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 take kind of thing. I said, you know who I admire? And right at the time we were passing – this guy on the side of the road, this friend of mine, his name's Van Jones. He was in an orange vest. He had a pole with a nail on the end of it and a bag. He was picking up trash on the road. I mean, this guy, <clears throat> he played basketball for the university. He owns a after-school daycare and a coffee shop, and he's a part-time preacher. But on Saturdays, his, th- his one thing is picking up trash on the side of the road on 40th Avenue. I said, Harrison, my son, I said, that's who I admire. That guy, is. there's no sign out there that says this area of – 40th Avenue picked up by Van Jones. Nobody's asked him to do this. He's found his one thing. And that that is my thing. I think everybody, the way to make the world a better place, uh, and and there was a lot of talk of community at the Welcome Conference, I, and it was my said, the way we make the world a better place is if everybody can do just one thing. It's, and it's one thing beyond their professional life and it's one thing beyond their family life and and personal life it's one thing for the community or the town that's different and and i can i can name so many there's a guy named larry doliak his one thing were little league fields and i mean for 50 years probably he volunteered his time his money his labor and if you go to hattiesburg mississippi right now and go to tatum park you're going to see world-class little league fields and people coming from two states over because Larry Doliak, that was his one thing. Uh, Sarah Newton's an architect in Hattiesburg. 
her one thing and it was a, it was a good idea to start giving free concerts in a downtown park and now the whole community comes together every friday in april every friday in october because of her one thing and and so you know that's what you do and i talked about my one thing which is extra table yes that was my next question what's your one thing yeah it's extra table what is so, extra table so extra table is uh, uh my one thing really kind of found me and um I got a call in 2009 from a place called the Edward Street Fellowship Center. Uh, it was a mission pantry. They were feeding about 800 families a month, and they had completely run out of food, yeah. like no food. And they called and said, can you help? They were desperate. And I said, sure. And I figured the quickest, best, easiest way to help would be just call one of my food service suppliers and have a, a order drop shipped so they could feed their clients. And I did. And, and so I started thinking after that, well, you know, maybe – if there were an easier way to get food to these kind of places, uh, you know, they wouldn't run out of food. But to be honest with you, and I'm going to tell a little on myself, to be honest with you, I was just skeptical that there was even a hunger problem. I'm like, you know, I was very cynical about it, really, to be honest with you. I said, this is America. Yeah. Surely, you know, I get some third world Central American country where you got, uh, you know, kids with the, you know, inflated bellies and that kind of, but not here. Yeah. And so I kind of went on a fact-finding mission around the state. <laughs> it didn't take long to learn there's a huge feeding problem. Uh, and unfortunately, Mississippi is number one in mm. food insecurity. And so I thought, well, okay, maybe I can do something about this. And um, I went to uh, Cisco, who's the food service supplier at the time. I said, I got an idea based on the premise of what if every – restaurant and every business and every home had an extra table where they could feed those in need. You know, uh, I want to, I want to raise money. I'm going to use the money to buy wholesale food and we're going to get it to these agencies because there are plenty of agencies out there supplying food to people in need. Problem is they're having trouble keeping their shelves filled. And so you didn't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to figure out a way to get them food. And, and so, you know, I, I based not just food. I think it's worth mentioning healthy food. Because that's a big I was, issue. I was yeah. just about to get into that. Okay. I, I, I based Extra Table on two founding principles. Number one, 100% of the money we raise for food will go to purchase food. Not You know, you hear all these horror stories, these big national nonprofits, and they got 40% administrative costs and all this stuff. I said, I'm not going to be a part of anything like that. I don't want anybody thinking, oh, Robert's trying to do this or that. So 100% of the money we raise for food goes to purchase food. We started a whole separate 501c3 that that raises money for our very minimal administrative costs and things like that. Number two, it's always going to be healthy food because Mississippi is number one in food insecurity, but we're also number one in obesity. And and to be honest with you, I was cynical about that. I was skeptical. I said, well, somebody's eating something somewhere. What's going on here? Yeah. And what I learned, the more I researched, is that those two always go hand in hand. If you don't have enough money and resources to lead a proper diet, you're living out of a convenience store. You're yeah. drinking the cheapest sugar drinks, and you're eating snack food. Yeah. And it's a real thing. And yeah. so my eyes were opened. And Mississippi has over we're, – we're a small state, like 2.9 million people. Yeah. Over 600,000 of those, almost one in five, suffer from food insecurity. Over 200,000 are kids who eat a school breakfast and a school lunch and don't eat again until the next day. Over 100,000 are seniors who are trying to, like, can I pay the light bill or can I go to the grocery store? And so that's how Extra Table was born. I, I call it uh, the most efficient and effective nonprofit 
ever because, I mean, we've run out of a little small corner of my business office uh, at the time in 2020. Three ladies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in 2020, it was yeah. one. Yeah, it right. was Martha. Yeah. And in 2020, we shipped 5.9 million pounds of wow. food to agencies across Mississippi at no cost to the agency. Yeah. And you're doing an amazing job. And the scary thing is that five point barely put a dent in the problem because yeah. it's 250 million pounds of food. I think is what I heard is the shortage. Yeah. You're yeah. 250 million pounds short. Yeah. I mean, and now you're only 245 that, which is still better, but I mean, it's, it's going to take an yeah. army. It's going to take yeah. more people, but it starts with one person yeah. doing one thing. Yeah. And you're the doing one thing. It. That's and, it. and if you're listening to this, thinking to like, what's my one thing? Or if, if you want this to be your one thing for your community, um, I talked to Martha yesterday. We had her on the show. I don't know if you even know that. We yeah. yeah. I talked show. to her this morning. She said, yeah. She, um, she didn't know it was coming. She said, Oh, I would have prepared. I would have looked. She better. did an amazing she, job. She said she, she did. She did an amazing she job. She is a force of nature. Yeah. So, she, I mean, she ran that thing on her own for a long time. And I drilled her. Yeah. I, I was like, because yeah. my, my, mission, my mission with that interview was, if we want to do this one thing in our community, what do we need to know? What's it going to take? Where do yeah. we start? What are the, what, what is, what's the structure? How do, you, how do you find sponsors? You know, Where do you get the money? The thing about the one thing principle is it doesn't have to be, but you don't have to start a, a nonprofit that feeds hundreds of thousands of people. You can just pick up trash by the side of the road. The thing is, it's the collective. If, so just think about in a state of 2.9 million people, what if everybody, what if 2.9 million people just did one thing, just one, th- how great that would be yeah. and, and what we could accomplish. Yeah. So that's if, all. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Yeah. If you're feeling inspired from this right now, and maybe there's an issue with food insecurity, wherever you are and you want to start giving back and helping check out the next episode, Martha comes on and she shares oh, how they did this. Uh, and this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, we got to think about starting to wrap it up now. <laughs> I want to respect your time. We've been going for a while. Um, again, echoing the mission statement. Inspire, empower, transform the industry. Mm-hmm. Who is Robert St. John today versus the Robert St. John getting started in this industry? Um, you know, I, I, I haven't lost any. I've, I've gained weight and I've gained uh, uh, a lot of gray and I've lost a lot of hair. I have not lost passion. Mm. I probably gained as, as passionate as I was early about the business. I've probably become more so. But I am more considerate of uh, dedication to family and to everybody on my team and their family. You know, it took me having a family to really realize, you know, that I had to get my priorities straight. I was probably 40 years old before I really started prioritizing my life. And I, I I call it the five F's, which are my tenants for living. And the five F's are in order, faith, family, friends, food, and fun. Yeah. And I can break down all those if you want, or we can do it later. But, you know, you know, all of that comes together. And the thing is, is I look for fun in a lot of the wrong places for a long time. And what I didn't realize, if you think about those five faith, you know, whatever your faith is, whether it's Buddhism, you're a Muslim, you're Jewish, you're Catholic, you're Protestant, whatever, whatever your faith is, you know, and your spiritual life has got to come first and then family second. And there's this thing. When Jill was pregnant with our first child, um, we kept, uh, she was noticeably pregnant. We'd be out at a party or something and people would come up to us, older people, and they would kind of grab you by the arm, look you in the eye and kind of go, it goes so fast. 
And sometimes they wouldn't say anything else. But we kept hearing this mantra to, you know, <clears throat> we were about to be first-time parents, and we would hear it goes so fast. And so I prioritized at that time. I was like, we, we had kind of sit on the edge of the bed kind of conversation. I said, you know, I don't want to be 70 years old saying it, it went too fast with these kids. And so um, <clears throat> as much as I love restaurants, as much as I love, I stopped working nights for the most part unless we were opening a new place. And um, dedicated that time to the, to my family. I regret none of that. Yeah. But I'll still I'll tell you this. It still went too fast. Uh, they're 25 <laughs> and 21. I don't think we're going to change that, yeah. but that's, I think so, that's the message. It's not about the destination, it's the journey. Yeah, yeah. and friends. So you got faith, family, friends. Uh, my grandfather used to say, he was kind of the main male figure in my life. He used to say, uh, a rich man has his first dollar. A true wealthy man has his first friend. And, um, you know, that, that resonated with me. And uh, I can tell you, man, I'm a rich guy today, not because I got a lot of money in the bank, because I really don't, but I got a lot of friends and uh, faith, family, friend, food. <clears throat> it's, it's the thing that I think a lot of people take for granted. And if people will look back at the best times in their life, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you look back on the best times of your life. I bet you food was centered around it in some form or fashion. Like I go back and I write about this a lot. My grandmother, who I talked about earlier, you know, we always, you know, her, my great food influences were there. There were, you know, everybody would come or, or you're celebrating a birthday or something. It's always around food. <clears throat> and, and food is that connector. It's a very biblical thing. You know, loaves and fishes and lasts, all that kind of stuff. But faith, family, friends, food, and fun. And the thing about fun is again, I said I look forward in all the wrong places. Thing was, it was there the whole time. When those, when three or four of the other ones come together, then the fun just happens. You gotta make it. You gotta look for it. My grandpa talking about my grandmother's table. You know, that was it was after church. So there's faith. There's family is sitting around. Friends were always invited. Food was awesome. And and I'm a 60 year old man still talking about that. That's how. That's what an impression that made on me. Yeah, so. fun is the last core value at restaurant unstoppable network. Because what's the point if you're not having fun? Absolutely. I yeah. ask business people that all the time. Yeah. They, they make a big. I say, "Were you having fun?" And sometimes it takes them aback. I was like, "The dude, yeah. that's not a part of the I'm deal. Of course it is." <laughs> yeah. So faith, family, friends, food, fun—the five F's. Yeah. Thank you so much. This yeah. has been a great conversation. One more break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a speed round. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experiences has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show, and his co-founder and co-creator, Zalen Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And 
Really, what it is, is an interactive learning tool, and it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued. There's a lot of data supporting that this is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com. Click the link that says request a demo and that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Passion. What is your biggest weakness? That's, i got to say more than one word, yeah. but uh, it's uh, not being able to say no yeah. as, uh, as often as I should. One word to a sentence. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, good. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you grow or thing you look for when you're growing your team or when you were doing that? Um. We just look for, for happy people again. Mm-hmm. Yep. What is your biggest challenge today? We already kind of talked about that, but you can echo it here. Labor. How are you overcoming it? We're, we're trying to figure it out now. We, we don't have the answer yet, but we're, we're looking at <clears throat> new methods and uh, new ways yeah. to try to get to people and hire people, and we're, you know, we're doing everything we can. Yeah. We haven't figured it out. And I know a lot of people are leaning on technology right yeah. now, um, not to completely replace people, but to automate the parts that can be automated. You know, what don't we need people doing? Yeah. Where do we need people? And let's put the people there. Uh, what is your or one code of conduct or a behavior, a core value, a way to be, a way to act? Honest. Mm. Share one uncommon standard of service that you teach your team, a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guests that's not common throughout the industry. Yeah. Uh, look for every opportunity to say yes. Mm. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. Just came out. I was going to say, I haven't heard that one. No, Will it just came out. we got to get you on the show, my yeah. man. This may be a great time. You definitely need to get Will Gadara on this show. Yeah. You also, uh, has Donnie Medea been on this show? No. You need to get Donnie Medea on here from Chicago. Oh, we're going to leave it. There's a question for that. Oh, okay. You wait. All right. <laughs> what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I say this because I was guilty of it early on. And they don't prioritize their family. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted in your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? So you're going to think this is the big brown nose answer to that. But I would say this podcast. And we haven't we haven't uh, instituted it restaurant wide, but we talk about it all the time. And uh, Jared Patterson, who's uh, my COO and he's my partner in this. We listen to this podcast all the time. We travel because we have restaurants in Hattiesburg. We have restaurants in Jackson. And and so it's about an hour and 15 minute drive. And I've put it on one and a quarter speed. (laughs) I can get the long ones in. And so this is truly and I'm I'm really I'm not brown nosing on this thing. This is truly I, I benefit from hearing other people in this industry that I love so much that there really wasn't a forum before unless I needed to read an article in one of the trade magazines, which was just 
typical, you know, stuff and PR kind of thing. And you get raw on here and you, you do a good job of digging deep and, and getting uh, atypical answers from people that's not just the PR firm. So so I have learned a lot thank from you this so show. Much. I really, really have. I keep doing what you're doing. I'm I mean, a fan. Thank you, and I'm going to use this opportunity you know, to share the vision and, and, and what I want to do. I, I, I truly believe that if we can give the industry an aiming point, if we can make an example of people who others respect and admire, and that be, if we if we can find a way to get the message to as many people as possible of what the new normal is and should be and what greatness looks like, and that becomes the standard, and more people can see that standard, that aiming point, that picture of perfection, or the closest thing to it, then the industry will transform. Then and, and that's the goal. And that and and you saying this is that's a good just, goal. This is it fills my heart. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I mean, thank it. you. Whew, that was good, man. You're making me emotional. <laughs> uh, so this is the last question. All right. It's a doozy. Uh, so get ready for it. All right. If you got the news, you'd get you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the, the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Um, prioritize family. Prioritize friends. And uh, uh, prioritize your coworkers. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Robert. Yeah. This has been such a great, great conversation. Um, who do you respect and admire? This is the time to call out those those names one more time. Um, Echo them. Yeah. So um, just Will Gadara earlier, yeah. and I've so, I've been so blessed to get to know Will and Kevin Bame. Uh, Kevin introduced me, and and he was part of the IRC. Donnie Medea who is the owner, co-owner with Paul Kahn of one-off restaurant group in Chicago. Um, those guys, between Kevin and Donnie and Paul, those guys own that city, man. And they, they have the best restaurants there. If you hadn't had Donnie on, you got to get Donnie on. You definitely have to get Will on. I mean, Will, at, at you know, 11 Madison Park was voted best restaurant in the world at one time. Yeah. And and he's your guy there. Um, you mentioned one of It's also name. a guy – well. I'm going to tell you about a guy who I worked for when I was living in the Panhandle before I opened uh, the first restaurant. His name's Charles Morgan. He owns, uh, well, his place there is called Harbor Docks, but he owns a lot of other restaurants now, Chuck's Fish, Five. Um, there are several other places. I really admire and respect that guy because he was one of the early, if not the guy that taught me, you know, that that it's more than business. It's also the people. And, and I don't like the word, the term giving back. I hate that term giving back because giving back implies that you had to receive something first. You should just give, mm. you should just give. And Charles Morgan is that. And Charles Morgan's that for his team members. And he's that for his community. I mean, they, what they do at Thanksgiving every year and you'll find out you just need to go. He needs to be on this show, but those Three guys for sure: Donnie Medea, Will Madera, Charles Morgan. Um, I, I look up to them. Charles is the only one older than I am. And, is Charles uh, in Chicago too? No, no, he's in Destin, Florida. Okay, beautiful. In the awesome. Panhandle. I also have Erica's name down here too. Oh, I'm Erica sorry. Palmer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, look Definitely. up, everybody. She's got to be on. I'm coming. I'm coming after you. I'm yeah. actually going to be in Chicago next month, so your timing is perfect. Yeah. Uh, we would love to get you, those folks on the show, and I'd. 
we can't say goodbye without having you share your contact information. If people mm-hmm. were inspired by today's conversation, uh, they want to maybe come work for you yeah. and, and get mentored by you or somebody on your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the best way to connect? Yeah. So it's a, if you remember my name, Robert St. John, uh, just, you can either Google it or go to robertstjohn.com. Uh, our company is new South restaurant group. You can get there from robertstjohn.com or you can just go to NSRG, uh, which is short for new South restaurant group, NSRG.com. Com. It has all our restaurants there. And uh, yeah. Robert St. John, my friend, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, man. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks for our guest today, Robert St. John, not only for being a guest, but also for just showing us ridiculous hospitality while we're in town. You were generous with your network. You were generous with your home. You gave us a place to crash and uh, we can't do what we do without people like you getting in our corner and supporting what we're trying to do here at restaurant unstoppable. So just special thanks and just great episode. So uh, as you're listening to this, we are on our way to Chicago and we're going to stop in Detroit along the way. Uh, And as you know, we really let the show dictate the show we're, we're asking our guests who do you respect and admire and believe and make a great guest in the show and we're listening to what our guests are saying we're following up on leads uh this is really near and dear to my heart with the future of restaurant stoppables having it be journalistic in nature we like to say our unique selling propositions trust and we're showing you the work with obstacle is the way and the obstacle is taking us to chicago uh, we're going to get Gino Wickman, the author of Traction, on the show. This is a, a book that's been referred to us a bunch of times. We're actually not going to be talking about Traction. We're going to be talking about his newest book. Uh, within that book, it's called the, the EOS Life, the Entrepreneurial Operating System Life. And he talks about the 10 disciplines in that book. And we're going to go deep into those 10 disciplines on how to be an entrepreneur and how to be uh, independent and successful. So if you're interested in getting your hands in that book, I highly recommend you go get it now. It's called The EOS Life. In that book, there's a section dedicated to the 10 disciplines. If you want to be a part of the conversation or, I don't know, prepare for that episode, uh, a little heads up there. We also have Catherine Wood coming on the show. So Catherine was recently mentioned on the show, but back to back. She's actually a past guest in the show. We're getting her back on the show to go deep into distilling your purpose, distilling your your strengths and your focus and where your core focus should be in pulling those the essence of you to the surface. That's what she did for Peter Sclafani and for Brandon Landry, uh, two recent guests. So we're going to dive deep into that. And uh, I cannot say goodbye before saying thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadria Podcast and Sam Hall at SavsAndSam.com for helping me make the show possible. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.